Welcome to the Penny Bloom Podcast. Ain't another place that has got more bombast. Rump past your mom, dad's listening to Tomcast. Talking everything that make you sad. We don't want that. We're here to make you smile. Put your mind at ease. Peace, love, and bloom, and always praise Keanu Reeves. This what we about. Get some weed and now. We'll talk until we can't no more, and then we peace and out. Alright, let's go. Penny Bloom Podcast. It's the Penny Bloom Podcast. Penny Bloom Podcast. everybody and welcome back to the penny bloom podcast today we continue our director's spotlight with wes anderson under that spotlight and we are talking the french dispatch it was released on october 22nd 2021 written by wes anderson with a story by roman coppola hugo guinness and jason schwartzman that roman coppola jason schwartzman team up once again and directed by Wes Anderson with cinematography once again by Robert Yeoman. I am Colton Robertson and I'm joined by Joseph George. What's up, homie? Oh, what up, what up? Always a pleasure to be here. Oh, and it is always a pleasure to have you. And this is one I've been very, very excited for, The French Dispatch. And uh, I, I, I fear, I fear I've hyped it up a lot. Hmm. I've told you, I've told you, I tried to balance it. You know, I like, I love this movie a lot. But I've also told you that this is one that most people look at as his worst. So it's kind of I've been trying to like balance that. How do you how do you feel about it after one viewing? I'd say the people that think it's his worst. Just don't I don't know. I feel like this is the most difficult movie to understand. Um, Just I don't know. I feel like this is the most complex kind of story that he's told. Out of any of his movies. Every other one of his movies are, are pretty cut and dry. You watch it the first time. You might be on a little bit of a roller coaster. But you, you fully understand yeah, kind yeah. of everything that's happening. Yeah. This one, it, I mean, I don't, the thing is, I don't know. I don't know what the meaning of the movie is quite yet. Mm. Like, I don't, like, I'm still, th- like, I guess I'm fresh off. I literally finished the movie 20 minutes ago. Right. Um, so I'm like, I'm still thinking about it. I'm still like going through that process myself. Um, and it, it's by, without a doubt, this is his most unique movie. I'd say like this, it's, it's the most Wes Anderson movie to ever Wes Anderson, you know, this, yeah, this one was, it's all him. And, but it's so different from all of his other movies, even though it has aspects of all of them inside of it. It's like, but, but it's so different than all the rest of them. Um, because I mean, there's like comic book animation in there. There's like stop motion stuff in there sometimes, like for a little itty bitty bit, there's like, and then just obviously the live action part. Um, but then just the use of color, the like black mm. and white, and then and then like all of a sudden you just hear, oh, someone's at my door. Sorry about that. No, you're all um, good. You're all good. But uh, I don't know. And then you just see it flash into color for just like, uh, for like a couple frames at some times. And I don't, like it, it has everything that West did in in previous movies, but all in this one crazy mashup. Um, so no, I, I I'm like I am. I'm very high on, like, I, I love how this was made. I love how, like, mm. everything about it. And I, like, I just want to go back and 
and watch it again because now I know what the movie is and I feel like I can understand it more. Right, right. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. Like I said, this is one of my favorites, uh, in this whole lineup. It's, uh, it's, it's a four viewer this year. It ties it with mm. Fantastic and Moonrise and, uh, um, one other Darjeeling. Is Darjeeling a four viewer? What's the other one? I think oh, no, it's just those three. Just those three. Mm. Moonrise, Fantastic yeah. Mr. Fox, and French Dispatch. With Darjeeling and Isle of Dogs at three. Um, I loved this movie, man. And I, I have a I have a background interest in journalism. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was uh, back in high school. I was the editor of our school newspaper. And I wrote with the writing staff and stuff. I went to school for journalism for a little bit. Uh, so this movie brought back all sorts of feelings. The reason I started writing again on the Patreon is because I watched this movie. You know, like, uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff where I'm like, it just reminded me how much that, uh, medium is, how valuable that medium is and how, how much you can get across. There are things that they say in this movie that work as narration that you, you just can't say in conversation. You know, whenever I, whenever I write a review, I try to write things in a different way than I speak. You know, and the, it would work if I was narrating something, but it's not the same as just like in a conversation one on one here. And that's that's why it's like it's brilliant. The, the writing styles of uh, Lucinda Cremens and uh, J.W.L. Barons and Roebuck Wright and mm. stuff like all 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 the characters and their different just over the top prose filled uh, writing styles. It's it's outstanding. I absolutely adored it. But uh, so I guess I want to, I want to, is this mainly just, this was one kind of comp, you know, this was Bill Burr, what was his character, uh, like. Bill Murray. Yeah. Um, Arthur, Arthur Howard's, yeah, Howard's. It was like his, you know, like the, the French dispatch, his little company. And like, this was just like three different store, like stories that were told. And like, this I was. was an issue of the magazine. Okay. That's in like, that's what I thought. So this is just like as if it's, we were reading it, but in yeah, movie it's the form. last issue of the magazine. Oh, okay. the one they published when Howaritz died, because you know at the beginning they they go over mm-hmm. the whole uh, when he died. He he stated in his will that the the presses would cease, the the publication would stop, the writers would be released from their contracts with ample bonuses, everyone who still had subscriptions left would be reimbursed, et cetera, et cetera the uh eulogy they're writing the obituary that they're writing at the end is the narration at the beginning of the movie uh he owen wilson oh. says uh, owen wilson says it started as a holiday and the, everyone was like did it really and and he goes kind of you know and that's that's one of the first lines in the movie said by the narrator angelica houston by the way um she uh she goes it started as a holiday at the beginning of the movie so like it's it's a revised version okay. of the obituary they write at the end so they've they've gone through and edited it and it's what ended up being published okay, um, okay. yeah it's it's a really satisfying rewatch for that reason there's all sorts of stuff that you can pick apart and what what it really really got me for was the environment that's created on a writing staff a group of people who mm. work together closely and the relationship you can have to an editor if they're a good editor um 
it's why Bill Murray's character is so very close to being my favorite character of this movie mm. because he's the he's the beating heart of the French Dispatch. You know, yeah. uh, at the beginning, whenever they're going like a, uh, he's talking about whores and vermin and and all this bullshit, and he's like, "Those are his people," and they all go, "Oh yeah," blah, 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 the little mumbling <laughs> mm-hmm. over each other. Uh, what about Kremitz? We asked her for two thousand words. She came in at fourteen thousand. Uh, some of her best work, you know, like he's, he's just like, he's fiercely protective of his writers. They're like, well, who are we going to kill? Because we, we can't publish everybody that can't happen. Uh, and he says, we're not killing anybody. Tell the publisher to order more paper. Sorry. Like that. Yeah. Okay. I I do. I do really like that. Like I've never thought about what an editor does. I've only thought about the people who write stories and like, and just, that's it. I've never like, actually thought of what an editor does like in my mind it was just like yep good enough all right like they just make kind of the final call sort of thing you know but like this seems to me like yeah this is a very this is an editor that i would like to work for if i was a writer yes you know you know a a nice contrast the most recent comic book movie we discussed on this podcast was spider-man 2 uh the the newspaper editor that you find in that is j jonah jameson (laughs) Uh, a man who okay. you definitely don't want to work for because his is about saving money, trying his best to uh, be inflammatory. It's real yellow journalism, you know, and then mm-hmm. Arthur Howard's here is like, I care that the writers write what they want to write. You know, the writers need to write what they want to write and it needs to be compelling. And and his, his motto, you know, make it sound, make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose is fundamental to writing you know you gotta you gotta capture a tone you gotta capture an idea like you can't write something and then someone goes "Ooh, i'm not sure how they meant that if you've done that you don't have a strong enough voice in your writing you know so if if you write it one way make sure you tr- do your best to make it make sure you wrote it that way on purpose that um, that might be the line of of yeah, the movie it's damn strong he does say it a couple times and other people refer to it as like you know, if he only give if he gives one piece of advice, he will say, you know, try and make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. And then mm-hmm. at the end with with Roe, you know, as he's sitting in his in yeah, his cell, you know, after he gives him the, his first assignment, you know, and like and then he's thank you, you know, like it it was a very like I don't know that line was I like you're right like he he is very close to being the character in the movie for that reason, just because he's the one kind of bringing everyone together. And he's the yeah. one that is like, you were, you were questioning off Mike, the glue and it is him like that. This movie is it, about him supporting his that. writers, yeah. you it, know, it, like, uh, it makes sense at the end of every, every section of the movie, it shows the process he went through with the writers immediately after, yeah. like at the beginning with Owen Wilson, you know, he he talks to him for a second. He's like, "You sure you don't want to include a flower shop or anything like that?" And and he's like, "Nope, this is what I want." And he's like, I "All right, yeah, you like- can you can cut out the second half of the second paragraph. You go on to repeat it later." And the writer's like, "You know what? Okay, you know, because like it's a give and take. That's what that's what editing and uh, writing is. If you have an editor, you know, you're supposed to listen to them full stop. Um, but you do make the hmm. make the battles you want." to make you you take the stands you're like this is and roebuck wright does a great job of that at the end of the movie you know he's whenever he's like uh why why'd you write this you know what's what's the point he's like well there's one thing that i that i left out Mm. uh 
God, I, lo- he shows, I love. I love this Jeffrey Wright. This is why it was supposed to be. Yeah, Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. Uh, he's fantastic. I did want to ask, since this is such a segmented movie, I did want to talk about the sort of mm. glue that held it all together first, which is the the editor of the French Dispatch, a uh, the the picnic, the the branch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to. I kind of wanted to take it story by story, kind of do some favorites from each and then do the favorites overall starting with, I mean, Owen Wilson's, I think it's a good tone setter for the movie. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no like thing to do. There's only performance and bigger in that scene is Owen Wilson. Uh, but it's a, it's a good all encompassing capturing of what we're about to get into. Uh, this, uh, a day in a life on we, um, where he kind of takes us through the seedy underground of the city. He even shows us the cafe that the kids hang out at, at the beginning of the movie, uh, Zeffirelli and his crew, the yell, mm-hmm. there's music playing around that, Da-da-da-da, that like swell that plays plays whenever mm-hmm. they show that. And, you know, it's, oh. it just kind of captures the vibe you're about to get into. And I think that's, it was a really good tone setter for, uh, for the movie at large. And, uh, I really liked it. How about, yeah. was that the first time you were like, okay, what the fuck am I about to watch? Yeah, I mean, it was, I was a little confused at first. Like, I, like, I guess I, even at, kind of at the end, I was a little confused, not in a bad way. I guess I just didn't really, I didn't really get why, I mm. guess, you know, and that's a, a whole nother, we'll, we'll get to there when we get to his part. Um, but like, it, I, you're right. I think it was a perfect way to get you into the movie and to understand like what is about to happen you know you'll you'll hear a story from a writer and that you'll see it like through their eyes through you know however they saw it and and then you you hop back in with the editor and and see what he thinks about it and then you know you, you see see the okay and i don't know I, I i didn't really pick that up at first and that's i didn't think that's you know oh okay so obviously this is what the next you know three stories are going to be about i had no idea of knowing um right. but now looking back, it was a perfect, nice and easy like easy appetizer. Yeah, yeah, it was like an appetizer. I'm Owen Wilson, and here's what you're about to watch. You know, kind yeah. kind of vibe. You know, and uh, uh-huh. the the whole narration at the beginning where they show the guy like running through the French Dispatch building and stuff, and he's <laughs> yeah, carrying was the cool. drinks and stuff. Yeah. And they're they're talking about the arts and culture and the and all the stuff they t- they they discuss in the magazine. I thought that was a it's a great choice, you know. It's real it's a real breakdown of like it reminded me a lot of the Grand Budapest Hotel in the way that when you're introduced to the hotel, they like start breaking down the responsibilities of a lobby boy. You know, it's mm. like it's like strangely informational at first and then it starts getting into the other stuff. Um and uh I really I really appreciated that out of this movie, but it, it the movie really starts Roland, whenever mm. we get to uh, Moses Rosenthaler, yes. a story written by J.K.L. Berenson, uh, mm. played by Tilda Swinton. Yeah, I don't, now, I this don't one, know which, this one was fun. I don't know Great which cat. story is my favorite, man. I don't know. Like, I really, really liked Moses' story. Um, just, I thought it was, I don't know, it was, it was very, it was the first kind of real story of the movie, I guess. And then I'm... I'm thinking I'm thinking this is what the rest of the movie's going to be right. while I'm here, you know. So I'm 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 like I'm like okay, this is where the movie kind of begins. Uh really and and I'm I'm watching and I don't know the 
the whole idea of modern art and how you don't under you know you don't understand. I mean, I, I like whenever he unveils it for the first you know Adrian Brody unveils it for the first time in front of yeah. like his uh, his uncle Uncles. or yeah, yeah uncles, and they're like, I don't get it. And he's like, Yeah, you're too old. You obviously don't get it. And he's like, or or whatever you know, like sort of thing. He's like, Do you see the girl? No, now, trust me, she's there. Um, and and whenever like he unveiled the the big you know in the gymnasium the the huge project i i i don't know if it's my mind playing tricks on me but i swear i could see the figure of a girl in those paintings like i don't oh, yeah. know i i'm like i'm I, I they're there like i don't <laughs> and even this is just art made for the movie you know and it's it's whatever but like that's the thing about about art just in general is that Adrian Brody comes up in his cell and he's like, you know, obviously it's for sale. That's why you make it to sell it, you know. And it's like, well, you couldn't be any more wrong. Yeah, you know? fundamental. Like, it's it's a capitalist's perspective yeah. on art, an art and dealer's perspective on art. So that that part of the story was really really enticing to me. You know, just just the back and forth between all the money and all the bribery and all, you know, just to get the art out of the artist and the deadline and pushing him to say, you know, the invitation is set. It's here in two weeks. You know, the, mm. this is not a, a foreign thing at all. This happens all the time in every art industry. I just know it the and most multiple from like, industries period. Yeah. yeah like I, I know it the most just from video games, just cause I don't know. That's just what I play the most, but so many video games are being released today that just aren't finished just because the release date is set and the marketing is done around that release date and mm. all of the money points that it needs to be out. But then the game comes out and everyone's pissed off for whatever reason that, oh, this doesn't feel finished at all. I hate the developers. I hate the artists. And it's like, you're hating the wrong people. You know, yeah. like the developers and the artists, they're doing all they can. It's just they're being very, very rushed. Yeah. And like, I thought, I don't know, it was a very, a very elegant way of just show showcasing that in Moses's story. But I think the actual part of the story that I like way more is just like him and Simone's oh, yeah. kind of Easy. back and forth. Um, because I'm my, if I had to pick a scene out of just that, it would be the electric chair. Scene. Oh, it's a whenever, scene. whenever he's like, all right, you know, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm being overworked. Like this isn't what I'm, I don't know. I'm being tortured. I'm a tortured artist. And, and she gives him a little taste, like, is that really what you want? You know, is, mm. is is that really what you want? And he's like, all right, let's get back to work. I, it was very quick, I guess, but it was. No, it's it, a good it, one. It kind of showed their relationship, like, very, I don't know, plainly. very well. Very, yeah, very plainly right there. They, they, she wasn't in it, you know, I, I don't love you. I'm not going to marry you. That but, was, that one's my favorite yeah. scene from that yeah. little bit is, uh, okay. is the scene where they're laying down head to head side by side and the camera keeps flipping from back and mm. forth. And it's kind of interesting. Whoever feels like they have the power in the moment is the one who's right side up. So Benicio del Toro, as he's talking, when he's about to build up to the, I love you, he's like, you know, there's something I've been, I've been wanting to tell you. And you know, I, I, I just feel this way and it feels right. And you know, I, and as soon as he's about to say, I love you, it flips to her being the one that's right side up and she's she goes i don't love you and she explains everything why it won't work and what what she's feeling and how that's going and he's like but and then it flips back to her and it's like it's just a really elegant yeah. way of showing who's who's driving the conversation really mm -hmm. instead of what would have been much easier is just 
leaving it in one spot, you know, um, or turning it side by side. So they're both, uh, one on top of the other instead of, uh, you know, Mm. and it's, it's just a brilliant choice, but the way that scene concludes too, because something that is a little confusing is like the timelines of this movie. You don't, sometimes you don't realize when you're in a flashback and when you're further back in the timeline, because Mm. that part takes place before the first thing we see with her like posing and everything. Yeah, that's oh, which is because yeah, like, that's when he decides he's going to paint again. Uh, oh, um, he sees the ceiling he sees and then the it ceiling, flashes in, he color. Sees it in color again. Oh my god! L- and was... Like, and that's what's interesting too: the use of black and white versus color throughout the throughout the movie is uh, like for Moses Rosenthaler when he's seeing in color, we see it in color. Like when when life is vivid again. We see it that uh, it's way. It's like inspiration. Like yeah. the, the the spark is back. Almost, you know, if color when, is when Simone turns around at the end and starts walking towards Adrian Brody and Benicio del Toro, it's all in color. You see, you see the beauty of the wall and everything. Yeah. And it's just like it's it's brilliant, dude. Uh, I love that. And that's the thing is like I was fairly certain I knew what my favorite story was um, after my first watch, and then I was fairly certain what it was after my second watch. Then I was fairly certain of what it was after my third watch, and each time it was the uh, the other one. Each time it was like, okay, okay Roebuck wow, writes. Yeah. Okay, wait, no, now it's now it's revisions to a manifesto. Okay, now it's yeah, Moses like, Rosen. How do Pollard. I choose? How do I choose between like like uh, the revolutionary spirit of two young kids? Like, and I'm like, oh my god, that was so amazing. And then you have like this tortured artist that's in a, a sane asylum that's being forced to make art and like he finally unveils something that's a gene you know genius and he's one of the most world famous artists it's in built the, world. the wall yeah and that, like I, like it's every story was so like you can make a whole movie per story almost well and that's that's why the owen wilson part is so um crucial to this movie this is what he finds beautiful about ennui you know, the, the deep, the dark, seedy, you know, what sounds will uh, punctuate the evening? Pop! You hear a gunshot and he gets, <laughs> he gets ran off the road on his bike and stuff. Uh-huh. And he's, he's like, you don't want to include flowers. I was like, I hate flowers, man. You know, it's finding beauty in the most unexpected places. In this one, we have Moses Rosenthaler, a brilliant once in a generation artist who's in prison for double, uh, first degree homicide. And the second Heading. story, you know, you have these two kids who are revolutionists who are on opposite sides of the same, of opposite mm-hmm. sides of the same side mm-hmm. and them kind of finding, finding the beauty in each other. And then the third, you have a brilliant cook who is just working for the police. And it's just like all these, all these different things where it's like, you just wouldn't expect to find it here. And I think that's a, uh, it's just a great way to tell a story. And that's, that's kind of where I find the binding is like beauty in places you wouldn't expect it to be. Um, hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, in places you wouldn't expect it to be. I don't know. There's, there's a few, there's a few layers there that I've every, decided to pick through. Every time I've watched his movies, I've always like, I've always really loved how he tells it through a medium sometimes, you know, and like, it's either a book or, or something, you know, something hmm. is there, but this one, it's like pretty clear. Like this yeah. one, it's like, I mean, it's kind of the whole movie. It is the it, issue it, of the magazine, yeah. Yeah, and that that was just really like I mean, he has those transition shots in other in his other movies that are like, oh, all right, this is the next part. We're moving on. It's you know, yeah, I, and, I think and Moonrise it, Kingdom. Whenever yeah. she's reading the book and she goes mm-hmm. part two, and then it cuts. 
Yeah. yeah that's but these were like, all right, this is page five through 16. And yeah. you're like, and this is this writer. And like, I, it was way cooler this way, in my opinion. Like, I don't know. This was, I feel like, like people take movies. If it's in a movie and it's like renown, then it's real. Hmm. But if you see it in a magazine or you see it in a comic book or you see it in a video game, it doesn't matter as much to people because it's not a movie. It's not, you know, a grand production. Right. But then I like, I don't know, I look at comic books and like there's some real, like some of the best stories come from comic some, books. Yeah, you know? some like, incredible and, stories and, can be told in other medium. And it, yeah. it, like comic books completely like inspired every comic book movie that's out today and mm -hmm. those stories come from somewhere you know like yeah. those stories were written in comic books first so it's like this it, it got me to like appreciate every form of art no matter how small and small i put in air quotes because it's i don't really view it that way anymore like it's just because it's a movie doesn't make it any more credible than anything else there's there's no real reason there's no real credibility in art you know um it's just a matter of perspective it, it, it's right. different through everyone's eyes like yeah. you look like especially like owen wilson i don't know like i you see all that stuff and he's focusing on everything bad you know and like you'd expect an editor to be like all right dude well, well we don't want the people to start this issue with the most depressing view of a city ever but it's he's just like well that's how we wrote it you know that i i have him on my team that's how that's how he sees it yeah like i mm. i don't know he can't can't change it and well and that's what's that's what's also awesome is that uh there's this something interesting is like the the timing of this book i was just mentioning like the bouncing around and stuff that mm. opening scene where he is defending his writers it implies that all the scenes that we saw after their stories happened before that, whenever Owen Wilson's like, uh, you know, I, mm. you know, uh, no, I hate flower shops. Da, 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 da. He's already justified it to him so that he can justify it to his team. You know, mm. he's like, uh, they're like, he's talking about all this, these gigolos and prostitutes and vermin and, and stuff. He's like, those are his people, you know, that, like, cause that's what he told him. And mm -hmm. notably, the only person who doesn't get any notes is uh, Kremitz, is uh, uh, Francis McDormand. Mm. And, you know, she was supposed to come in at 2000 right. words. Walked, he just walked in and picked it, it up. And that was it. Oh, yeah. I yeah. didn't even I didn't really think about that. That it was just. Perfect already. I get no. Yeah. No well, and like the way they're talking, they're like, "There's a uh, nine hanging parsables. There's there's all sorts of uh, grammatical errors." Da, 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 da. And he goes, "Some of those are on purpose." Like, <laughs> like I I love like hmm. that sort of conversation between a writer and an editor requires an extreme faith from the editor on the writer's part. Like, uh, okay, now that makes yeah, okay, that beginning scene, like it's it's all coming back now, like that. It did happen after they were all written. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, okay. And the now. only one that doesn't is Roebuck writes because he's like, his door was still shut, but I could hear the keys clacking in there. And he goes, don't interrupt him. Let him finish. You know, he's like, uh, uh so he goes in there after and he's, he's oh, looking for, yeah. So it's, dude, it's just a, yeah. 
okay. It's, it's an interestingly formatted movie. Just to now, it's making way like more sense now. Mm-hmm. Like now, it, okay, this one is going to benefit the most from a second watch. I will say, like without a doubt, for me, um, it's it's already. I mean, if I had to give like a gut of where I put this one, like we just came fresh off Isle of Dogs, which I put pretty high. Um, but I mean this. This one, I, I, I mean, it's above that. I mean, already it's it's above Isle of Dogs. Like this, this is a different type of ball game here. Um, this one, I don't know. I feel like this one actually has a way bigger purpose, way bigger meaning, way a lot more Wes behind it. I guess mm. if that makes sense. Well, um, and there's also this really interesting real world context that they mm. kind of dig into in the second story. Um, which we'll get to before long about journalistic integrity. This came out in 2021, which is uh, we're at a we're at a height of people distrusting media and mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's it's crucially important that our journalists are honest and don't have biases and don't present facts in a way that is inflammatory. And they just go ahead and report facts. Um, but then what do you do when nobody believes the facts? Then you need then. That's when you need a voice. That's when you do need a Zeffirelli or a mm. or someone outside of the media to go ahead and dig into those issues and inspire people. And uh, that that was it's just like a there's there's always something about his movies that are oddly timely. Mm. You know, like they're they're like oh this was was a good time like Grand Budapest I think came at a relatively good time coming out in 2014. Um, whenever uh a certain mm. someone was about to make his bid for president and stuff mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. and there, there's just always a certain relevance i feel like 2018 isle of dogs a you know basically dictatorish regime limiting the uh amount of love you can have in your life mm-hmm. uh yeah he does seem to have a uh... A very keen sense of what's going on in mm-hmm. the real world. And he always makes it fantastical enough where you don't really have to even think about that if you don't want to. Um, but it's there. Oh, it absolutely is. And yeah. there's one, especially, the I mean, Roebuck Wright's whole thing is probably the most timely. Um, and it's it's one that I didn't even really become keen to the meaning of until my most recent, or my most recent couple watches. Um, where his he's being persecuted as a black gay man. That's what he that, got. That I was trying to okay. I I I found like he it was very brief. You know the something something of a homosexual man. And I'm yeah. like okay. These like the, these are the hardships of the homosexual. Yeah, and I, and I, I was trying to piece it together while everything else was going on, and I'm like, is that is that what's actually happening right now? Mm. And I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure. Um, no, it's uh, it's like ah. Uh, it's it's a really really good fucking movie man with all all sorts of different stories to tell and uh all of it ultimately comes back around to the importance of art the importance of you know and it and it opens itself up to the meaning of what art is and mm. you know um cooking cooking is an art and that's that's what he chooses to write about a uh, the revolutionary spirit is inherently artful it's creative. It's it's deciding something is wrong and we need to do something else about it. That the very basis of writing a manifesto is one of the most creative things you could do because you have to come up with things that no one's thought of to fix 
fixed things that exists because, you know, people talk about, oh, we need to realign everything in this country from the ground up. Someone's got to come up with how to do that. You know, some, someone's yeah. got to, someone's got to do something that no one's thought of before because a lot of yeah. stuff doesn't fucking work and it's been like known to not work. We all kind of know we're, we're all in a fucked up situation. We mm-hmm. all know that. We know like something needs to happen to fix a lot of things. But I don't know how to, I don't know how to go about that, you know? It like, takes some of the like, most intelligent and creative minds there are to, to do stuff like that, which is why there's this, uh, I love, I love the second story for all the layers it has there, the touching mm-hmm. narcissism of the young, because there's like this bad, this again, another crazy timely story. A battle between the older people in the society versus the younger people of the society where the older people are like, man, you can try your best to change shit, but you're just not going to change shit. Um, mm. The infighting between the revolutionary cause, which is like, uh, yeah, you you like this thing, but you should you should really be even further into that belief or you shouldn't be so extreme. And it's like. There's all sorts of stuff that just feels very, very relevant. And uh, I, I really appreciate it. And that's the thing is that the one that feels the least relevant to uh, modern society probably is the Moses Rosenthal scene uh, yeah. or Moses Rosenthal story. But even then, you can make it about the way that capitalists use mm. prison labor to make money off of them. You know, oh. they... uh the most famous artist of our time, Moses Rosenthaler, according to them, you know, uh, most famous artist of his time. Uh, he passed away and he had books written about him and he, he sold a bunch of art, but who made all the money off of that art and stuff, you know, like there's just a, just a different, uh, different ball game. And I like that. Uh, it's, it's about sucking the life out of him while make forcing him to do the thing that mm. he once loved doing. And while his inspiration is Simone, there even comes a point. Simone's character is really interesting because she wants to support Moses, I think. But throughout all of it, the resolution to her story is oddly selfish. You know, she does maintain correspondence with Moses Rosenthaler until his death, Mm -hmm. according to uh, Berenson. But, um, she makes it out of that job for, and is compensated for being his model and muse. And she goes on, she is reunited with her kid and she's reunited and she has, she has a great story. She has a great ending. But whenever Adrian Brody's like, it's going to, it's going to have to be put on in two weeks. He's like, yeah. she tells me it's ready, you know? That's, and she, yeah. she's supporting, she's definitely supporting him. You yeah. know, she's trying to be like, it's, it's better than you think, but it's also a little bit of like a, you know, we do this and I'm out of here. It was her last day. You oh, know. I didn't really see. Okay. I didn't really see it like that. I guess I was, cause I felt like it, she was trying like supporting him in the way that she should and not be like, all right, do, you know, here's a deadline. You do your job and that's it. That's all I care about. Like Adrian Brody's saying, but she's the one who's actually like keeping him inspired, keeping him motivated actually wanting to do the work Mm. you know sort of thing and then because was it known that that she was going to be compensated for this 
they seem they seem to imply that to me um and they don't outwardly say like she she'd agreed to do this and then get out no but that was stated at the end of that article to be her last day and uh uh like it was known that 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 was her last day yeah that was the last day she worked there and whether that's a coincidence or a they compensated her and she Hmm. dipped I don't know. It it happened to also be his last day or close to it for his uh, valor in mm-hmm. rescuing uh, yeah. several people. The riot in the riot or whatever. Like that, that was that's probably close to the the my my actual favorite scene was just the unveiling. And then he, oh, I don't know what to you know, I don't know what to think. I don't like it. You know, I you know, it was beautiful at first, but then he realizes it's on the wall. You know, and it can't be moved. And then he's like, oh, I hate it now. Oh, I can't yeah. do anything with this. What am I going to do? You know do? how much this has cost us. Yeah. And, then, and that's and- what's brilliant about that choice. The the final stand that Moses takes that. And that's what ultimately makes her a supportive muse and model and not a not an opportunist who's taking advantage of him mm. is that she doesn't tell them that it's painted into the wall. She doesn't tell them that they will not be able to move it, you know, like uh it's hmm. just she she does admire the work for what it is yeah. and it's a it's a really interesting uh it's a real interesting dichotomy man uh but yeah moses and wh- who would you say had your favorite performance and uh your favorite character from that little from that little bit there i'd say moses was the character for me hmm. just i just seeing like stuff through his eyes and then like whenever he saw it in color and like um I don't know. I, I, I he was just the the focal point of of that story, uh, so that's just who I was mainly focused on. Yeah, I didn't even think about all this this uh, Simone stuff in the back. Like I didn't even think about all that on this watch. Mm. Um, but I've had he, plenty of time to reflect on yeah, it. This is my I, fourth viewing of it. I think he would get the performance as well, like uh, because yeah. the the scene, your favorite scene, whenever he's like, well, what, what, what do you, you know, what do you mean? Like he's he's planning this big, I love you, and he's expecting it to, you know, go his go way, well. and then it does, and he's like, well, that that was only part of it, you know. I have there's more there's more to say, you know. And he he has to to I don't know act kind of a little bit insane, you know. He has little growls. Uh, which is which is you his know. little yeah yeah it, it, little, i don't know i i everything about him i like that's the one story that i i kind that's the thing i don't know how to pick my favorite story out of these three it's like i don't know if i have one that's my favorite i like no, i, no, I, I, I was I gonna think. ask what your favorite was but like i don't think it's i like, would be able to choose man it's yeah. uh they're all incredibly well done and while they all have a certain uniqueness and are vastly different from each other they are they have this spirit that kind of persists through it all mm. uh and uh like i said that beauty in unexpected places sort of thing um or connection in unexpected places you know like uh it's 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 really fascinating but uh, for me my favorite performance would definitely be benicio del toro as uh moses rosenthal mm. and uh my favorite character would be simone I think that uh yeah that's I love I love her I'll presence more. Yeah, I'm going to focus more on her on the second watch to to yeah. see like what what's going on there cuz the way I picked it up was that she was just kind of with him, you know, and and I I thought that she just kind of got lucky, you know, like it was just kind of like, well, I I motivated him, I was the model, so obviously they compensated me. And then mm-hmm. I 
had enough money where I didn't need to do this anymore. Uh, is is just yeah, and I, I'm being pr- I'm pretty purely speculative speculatory here. Like I don't think they do a lot in the story to insinuate that. It's just that uh, you know the the persuasiveness she uses. She knows the hold she has on Moses, you know. She watches over him whenever he's selling his art to Adrian Brody. He's like, "Why do you keep looking at her?" And he's like, "Well, that's Simone." You know, and he's and he's like, mm-hmm. oh, "Okay, okay, cool." You know, and uh, you know, why why is she watching that interaction? Is it because they're two prisons in a in a cell together? Someone needs to watch. It might as well be her, but like uh there's a certain element of her she's, being like, uh, yeah. I want to, I want to make sure this goes a certain way or something. Like, I don't know. It's maybe uh, she's like the manager, you know, mm-hmm. sort of like that's, that's her. If this was an artist that was not in prison whatsoever, yeah, muse model and, manager. Yeah. I, okay. I, Hmm. That'll okay. I'll definitely pay attention to her a little no, more. Yeah, I, I, that. It's just her presence, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a really fascinating and, strong presence that she has on screen you know to be opposite a psycho a a person literally locked up for psychopathic murder um Mm. whenever he approaches her when she's when she's naked and he like paints on her and then he like rubs it in and then she like smacks the painting brushes out of her hand and like out of his hand and hisses at him Mm -hmm. it's like dude immediately i'm kind of taken with that character i'm like that's just kind of badass you know and uh so I, I liked me some Simone. She would probably be my favorite character from that. And uh that was another scene that had uh there were a few great actors from that scene. You had the Fonz, um fucking uh oh, what's his real name? Henry Winkler, Uncle Joe and mm. Bob Balaban as Uncle oh, Nick. That's um, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean even Adrian Brody did pretty well, you know, Adrian Brody in, in did real good, role man. that he did, yeah. But Benicio del Toro, that I the thing I know like is Star Wars in the Collector? It's like as I know him, you know. Yeah. But then this is I don't know, like a my first real kind of role that I that I've seen him in. That's not well, and Star he's Wars. always done like, and that's what's really cool about Medicio del Toro. I, I like as as a talent, he's got a very original streak, you know. Hmm. Uh, when it comes to the MCU, I don't think there is quite a character like the Collector. When it comes to Star Wars. He made DJ his own. The whole the whole vibe he was doing was like he's a very mm. talented man, you know, and I think he does a really really good job here. So I would I would also go with him for the performance in this specific story. I don't know about overall, um, and we'll see because I I, I want to reflect on it fully. But uh, yeah, man, I love that. I love that scene and I love that story and I think that it has a uh, mm. just a great idea behind it about what art means to everybody yeah. from the bottom to the top, you know, and I think that's, oh, yeah. that's a wonderful idea. Um, and then the, but... the, the one shot that I was debating was maybe from here. Um, and it was just when they actually got the installation out of there, got it on a plane, took it to the Midwest, dropped it down in Kansas. And then you see the, the exhibit and it's kind of pulling back from it. And then you realize it's just right in the middle of a cornfield, like in oh, the middle dude, that of was nowhere. gorgeous. And and I mean, it was. I don't think it it tops the the shot we'll get to later. Um, but it was just like a like oh wow, that's where it is now. You know, like it's it's in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, and not where he created the thing. You know, like can you imagine the Sistine Chapel 
if someone was like, oh, I love the feeling of this place. Let's put it on a plane, take it to to Missouri. You'd be like, what? You, you like, uh, yeah, wait, wait, what do you, what do you want? Uh, no, like that, that's, that's obviously just not an option, but no, but that's, a, that's the thing, you know, like it's, uh, it was, it was taking this beautiful thing that is almost inaccessible to anyone who doesn't get locked up and moving it out to moving out to where it is accessible. And there is something interesting there where it's like, uh, should they have left it where it was to kind of like, prisoners probably mm. deserve art too you know like it's not like a uh oh, i just didn't think, a- i just didn't think it was fair to bring it to kansas you know like, <laughs> like i mean like maybe if it's not in the asylum but just like outside like i don't know like literally outside the gates where just anyone can see it you know sort of thing i don't mm. know like something like that just the fact that they put it on a plane and brought it over yeah that is pretty funny that is pretty uh, funny but that's 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 the game with the art dealership, man, and that's yeah. uh yeah. I yeah, guess questionable. I guess it'll be seen by more people. Yes. Probably. But and, yeah, and that is the an people interesting people who are visiting on yeah, Wii. That is an interesting debate, you know, like kind of back and forth is like should you just leave it right where it was and not touch mm-hmm. it whatsoever or put it in a place where a lot of people can actually see it and experience it and it's like yeah, I don't know. That no. Yeah, it's a it's a a wonderful wonderful little story, man. And uh, there's actually some interesting, uh, more time stuff there, where she talks about how her former employer her former employer sent her out there to go analyze this. She she was working for the art dealer who bought it and stuff. Um, this happened like twenty five thirty years before the events of the movie. Because when you see her office, there's a stack of books on the left side. One's called The Life and Death of Moses Rosenthaler. And uh all, oh, all of them are yeah. about Moses Rosenthal. There's a there's a, a poster yeah. of uh Simone naked and cell block J or whatever. Uh and uh she was given like a lecture or mm-hmm. something over like kind of like a TED talk or I don't know, yeah. was she just like a, a professor or like was that just how she I don't know what her were, storytelling? Maybe, yeah, or? maybe it was like a uh Maybe some sort of art expo or a uh, or a journalism like, do you think convention. She was, do you think she was actually doing that, or do you think that that was like her way of storytelling and telling people? Right, right. You know, sort of. Thing? No, I th- I, li- I like to think that she's actually giving a presentation because, like, uh, it seemed that she was very fascinated and taken by Moses Rosenthal as she had a stack of books about him and stuff. So maybe she's kind of like the leading. Hmm the leading mind on Moses oh, Rosenthal. So she yeah. was giving a lecture on Moses Rosenthal. That's true because uh, she's the only one who wasn't actually there with the person of the story during the time because uh every other or both other writers uh like Roe Roebuck. Yeah, Roebuck was with the show, you know, actually yeah. like there and during the, those events Francis yeah, Lucinda Lucinda was, was, was in the chair. Yeah, she was they were full on there. So they were like firsthand accounts, but then I guess hers would be uh, the only kind of, kind of historical of... accounting. Yeah, yeah that's so interesting. It makes, makes more sense that it's like a lecture or like a mm. like a just here's here's how it went sort of thing. But huh? Okay. Yeah, but I okay. I think I, I I'm trying to put in all of our favorites here for for every single one of them. Each Ooh. part. Um, favorite shot wise, though, I don't think I gave you a favorite shot for this one. Um. 
Yeah, that one could be hard for each part. Because I know I, that's the only shot I remember was the the sunflower or like the cornfield, whatever it was. With but uh, yeah, that's a good looking shot, man. Though there, there's there's a few though, like his process when he is painting and he's trying all these different mediums and stuff, and it does flash into color for a while, mm. and it shows him like painting yellow across the like screen, and then him standing in the middle. Ooh. Um, oh, that's gorgeous. His natural colors, like he he used natural ingredients in him showing mm-hmm. all the different things. He that was really cool. Yeah, they're, okay, you're right. There's a lot of shots to actually choose from. And now that now that I'm thinking about it. Um, even your scene, just the, the overhead. That would probably be my favorite shot. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then his, him looking into the ceiling and like seeing that, like, okay, there's actually a lot more there. Um, but yeah. Okay. I think trying to think if we missed anything from this first story. Um, Mm. I love whenever the fight breaks out, there's just like two women kissing. Like it's all chaos. Like it's like a slow pan. Ooh, that might be my shot. Everyone's frozen shot. in space. Yeah, Everyone's like, frozen. And they even have, like, you know how they use, like, cotton balls or, like, whatever for smoke and, like, stop motion? They use mm-hmm. that in, like, in live action, though. For But, like, I don't know. Like, it was – everyone was frozen, but they kind of used some stop motion techniques. With humans, of, yeah. Yeah. And, it, oh, okay. I, that might be my favorite shot of that story. That's actually. a good shot. That's That would be a good choice. This gentleman okay. here says he's their spokesperson. Uh, and he like locks the door and they all knock through the, the gl- yeah. I like the shot of Moses, like at an upward angle where he does stick his fists out. And, uh, <laughs> Berenson says something about how he was knighted in the order of the l- lion or the caged lion or something like that. And yeah. it's like, okay, this dude's a badass. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how we got out is he, I mean, for his valor in this fight, they're like, yeah, release him. Right. I mean, cause it, I guess that was all kind of quick. He, that the fight happened, he did something so well and defended everybody that they they just released him. Mm -hmm. But then what happened after he got out? I guess I'm kind of forgetting. Like, did they even focus on it or was he just, he got out just for that and that was it. They moved on. Well, they just kind of moved on. You know, Uh, I think they kind of implied that's when Berenson might've begun her encounters with Moses Rosenthaler because at the, uh, she, he's like, why'd you have to wow. go to the seaside inn to write this story? He's like, okay. she's like, I don't have to articulate to you the kind of relationship me and Moses had. We were lovers. This was 20 years ago. You know, like, uh, I wanted to remember. Okay. Uh, I see now. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That, okay. I don't think there's anything else in there that I'm forgetting that I wanted to talk about. Tony Revelori back as a young Moses. That was cool. Yeah, the little in like transfer of the like the yeah, little the, tag or tag, necklace yeah. dog tag. Oh, thing. another like, one of my favorite shots is the mental illness still where he's like dr- he's doing a self portrait and he can see himself sitting there and his eyes are all cool. whited out. Like that was gnarly. That was a that dope was cool. scene. Um, okay. I know. I I love that shit, dude. It was a, it was a really compelling compelling little mm-hmm. uh, part of the part of the movie, but. Uh, yeah, all right. Then I think we can move on to revisions to a manifesto, uh, where we have Timothée Chalamet as uh, Zeffirelli alongside uh, Linda Cowdery as Juliet and uh, Francis McDormand as Lucinda Kremitz. Lucinda, how is that? Yeah, well, well, I'd say Francis McDormand has taken my performance 
um, for this yeah. section. She's performance pretty... and character for me. I have yeah. I have no doubt about that. Character would be the only one that I would kind of, I guess, go back and forth on. Um, and it would either, I mean... My character might actually be Juliet. Um, that's, yeah. I, I really, like, she was the one who always was, like, making sure they were in line. I don't know. Like, uh, whenever they were talking about the guy who's going off to fight for the military and like, yeah, it's required and whatever. It's the same. For once she's right. It's the same. It's the same. I don't know. She kept like saying that over and over. And she like, it was the sound mind kind of through, through it all. Oh, and, she's like, the, she's the true revolutionary at heart, you know, like, uh, Zeffirelli is, is swayed to the revolutionary cause because of their friend's stories from when he got back, you know, her being like, he should burn the patch and abandon his post. And they're like, <gasps> mm. you know, like that's a, they, they don't necessarily support the war, but they don't support him going to jail for a cause, you know? And it's uh, not until he gets back and does it that Zephyrell, like, you know what? Okay, I'm in. Meanwhile, she had these ideals all along, which is a, uh, an interesting mm. little dichotomy between the two of them where, uh, you know, there's, there's a, it's just these varying degrees of ideology, you know, she's not necessarily an extremist because she's not acting on things in a more violent way necessarily than Zeffirelli. Mm -hmm. But, uh, she's just very passionate about it. She disagrees with his ideals and that they, they they don't go far enough that they're like, you know, you're too soft on this. You need to do something Mm. else here. It's poetic in a bad way. Um, I, I really enjoy the dichotomy between them, but the highlight overall is Frances McDormand. Man, she's a yeah. That's hard to beat. I mean, if you're really if bad. you're in the same scenes as Frances McDormand, what are you really gonna do? You know, I mean, it's it's tough. I think. I mean, she definitely is getting performance. That's without a doubt. I don't think I don't think that's up for for debate for me at all. But then I don't. I she think... has she has a chance at performance for the whole movie. She's she's yeah, damn good. Yeah, and. But I, I I really liked uh Julie is yeah Juliet I don't know I, I really like her outfit was really cool you know she had the goggles the helmet the yeah, yeah like Amelia Earhart kind of yeah vibe to her um and just I don't know like so what's the idea here I guess this part was the part that confused me a little bit like the chess match that was being played versus like the the the, the revolution it, so it was like. So they were deciding, like, I guess, I don't know. I was a little, like, confused as to, like, is that the, I don't, like, I, I don't know. Like, it was set up between, like, the mayor or, like, whoever was running the government and yeah. them, and they were playing, and then whenever they lost on time, that's whenever they were, like, okay, tear gas and whatever, you know, and, like, yeah. it's over now. So, like, if they would have won the chess match, if he would have won... Like what would have happened? You know, like I guess like that—that's the the part that kind of confused me a little bit was whatever was going on with this chess match. Um, I think it's a, I think it's an example of some of the stuff that Kremens was writing about this, like touching narcissism and naivete of the young. Where if they if they lose this chess match, the soldiers are sent in to tear gas and, and rubber bullets and all that. Mm-hmm. If they win this chess match or this chess match. Uh, the soldiers are sent in with tear gas and rubber bullets. And, yeah, you know they're they're 
the way that Zeffirelli wants to win, it's not possible to win that way. Ah, he's he's not fighting a he's not fighting a violent revolution. Ah, I see. Um, okay, he's he's fighting a revolution of ideals, and it can start as a revolution of ideals, but it can't follow through as a as a revolution of ideals. Something has to, that, mm. and that's what Juliet's perspective provides. You know, um, that's why whenever the the scene progresses and he's like uh, it's our turn and Juliet's still arguing with him it's because she knows this chess match doesn't fucking matter um, she's like it's it's it doesn't matter we can we can do this all fucking day if you win they'll invade if you lose they'll invade there's there's no okay. there is no rhyme or reason to what's going on here um I'll and put her uh, as my character for that reason then because yeah, that, that didn't really Hart. click and she was already kind of up there and and now that that's like Okay, I didn't because I saw it as like an actual thing between the city and and the the kids, you know, and like they are actually participating in this thing. But like the whole time, I'm like N- this. I'm like, what is this gonna do? Yeah, like that, that's what I was would like. Never happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Really yeah, and it is fantastical. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 this is true. But like the very real, I mean, very real, real world elements that are you know being pulled in for for 100%. most of the other parts. So I was like, that that was the. I didn't know if it was just for funny, you know, just for comedic, you know, value. Is this even labeled as a comedy? Because there are some, yeah, okay, it is. I was going to say, there are, like, some funny parts in here, but this one's this one's a lot more serious in tone. Mm, I would say. I would say, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's just a really interesting story, this one, because there's this, uh, you know, this one more than the other two is about that journalistic integrity angle where she literally comes in and she becomes a part of the story she's writing about. She sleeps with uh, Zeffirelli and she <laughs> revises his manifesto and does all this stuff for him. So she's more of a she's more of a storyteller than she is a, uh, you know, a journalist, it seems like, you know, she's. Mm-hmm. She's there to tell the best story possible, and sometimes telling the best story possible requires you to get involved. You know, uh, whenever she's standing there watching Juliet and uh, Zeffirelli argue, and she's like, I shouldn't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. And then she goes, I have something to say. You know, like that's, uh, that, that's. Oh my God, that's the chess match that's actually happening. It's the hmm. king and the queen. Romeo and Juliet, you know, they're the king and the queen, but then the bishop that's like the next most powerful piece that's not supposed to really interfere until it needs to is the bishop. It's like, oh, okay. I see. I kind of, okay. I don't know. I kind of see. Oh, that kind of makes more sense now a Mm. little bit. Like, I, okay. I like the, because I was trying to find a reason why she interfered, you know, like I'm supposed to keep my my journalistic integrity. integrity. But then she's like, and then, like that even exists. Yeah, Zeffirelli's homeboys being like, there's no such thing. It doesn't exist anymore. That's not that's and uh she's like, if it even exists. And uh, you know, if huh. uh, what does she say? She says, and you should open your mind if if you do not mind my saying, da 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 if you do not mind my saying or whatever the like whatever the hell she like keeps qualifying what she's saying. But uh mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a real peacekeeping element to Kremens that's really interesting and kind of counterintuitive to the ideals of a revolution. You know, she is she is kind of parading this idea that you should meet in the middle and that you should try to find common ground and that's what she is saying to literally Julia and Zeffirelli, but she's also mm-hmm. trying to be like, and maybe you can figure something out here. 
you know, like, uh, in, in your struggle, you know, and, uh, which is an ideal that I don't necessarily agree with, but I can appreciate. Um, and, yeah, like, I think her, her main point was like, you're fighting the same fight. And if you start to fight with each other, you've already lost mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like in, in, and I think that's, that's kind of what they realize because, you know, she's up there spitting like, this is what you, you, you make into your manifesto. You know, you, I'm the treasurer and this, and we spent all this money on, on to mass produce this. And she's flipping through everything. She's like, look at this. This sucks. Look at this. This sucks. And then, I don't know. It was very, very, I feel like they were about to start like their own little civil war there. Like she had their, <laughs> her own little posse come up behind her that were like, yeah, no, I feel that too. And then, you know, she's, Francis McDormand is like, well, I can't, I can't intervene. I can't, I can't. But then she's like, all right, now I have to, you know, sort of. Well, thing. Like, this is- I think there's also something to be said for the, uh, the idea that there's kind of a hive mind regarding causes in general, you know, um, whenever she starts pointing out flaws with the manifesto, she starts gaining a following and people being like, oh yeah, she's right. Mm. Which kind of implies that other people didn't read the manifesto and just kind of went, oh, yeah. Well, because there's 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 reason to be like, uh, you know, they're fighting for freedom. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I, like, I, I don't blame anyone for being like, I don't care about the specifics. The regime that stands now is wrong. If this is what we're going to do, it's right. You know, and uh, there there mm-hmm. there is more there. But like, it, it is interesting to think like what the the balance of things there was uh, how she kept spouting things off and people being like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting. I hadn't thought, I haven't thought of it that way. And it's like, there's, there's a argument to be had that they didn't think of it at all. Um, that's true. Was, Cause they all just yeah. got that. They all just got those manifestos like hmm. just now. And, <laughs> and that, that is a fair point that I didn't really think about. I just kind of took it for, for granted that, yeah, they all read it, but like, Probably people are there just more for the fight because they do yeah, know something's yeah. wrong, and they yeah. They're, and and they're, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I do mm-hmm. think if you're fighting a revolutionary cause, it's best to be informed on exactly what you're fighting for. That's um, true. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Still important. Not necessary, but but very important. Very important. If you want to very important. keep organized and and yeah, you know your goal, have your goals met to prevent this. You know this this infighting. You know you mm. you figure out what you want to what you want to do and you you put it to words and uh that's the problem sometimes with having one revolutionary leader you know there's an argument to be had that Juliet and Zeffirelli probably should have authored this together um instead mm. of one guy coming up with the with the whole shebang you know uh mm-hmm. you know, find find a balance and go ahead and commit to it but uh some that's of it. my is that the the scene for this part I'm trying to think of any other scene that stacks up to I mean, that, that's a damn right good scene. My match. favorite scene in this part, however, would probably be um, just, I don't know why particularly, but the scene that I always love from this is whenever Francis McDormand goes to the bathroom after the tear gas bombing and Zeffirelli's in the, the tub. Yeah. Um, and, and he like, he's like, you want to, you want to revise my manifesto? The, my parents say you're a great writer. And she's like, yeah, sure. And then, She's like, it's a little damp, physically or metaphorically, both. Uh, just, I, I think that what's fascinating is to get 
a couple of actors who are 40 years apart in age with pretty impeccable chemistry. I think Francis McDormand and Timothy Chalamet just like they put on in this movie and it's really, really good. Um, and then like, I think my favorite shot from this funny enough, cause there's, I mean, this is loaded with gorgeous visuals, you know, that the scene where like the, the cafe like lifts up and the jukebox flares up and Juliet and we're like leaning against it. Like that shit's beautiful. Um, that's probably my actual favorite shot from this scene, but, um, there's a shot whenever Zeffirelli comes out of the bathroom and he's dressed and he's got the gas mask on and Kremens rises up from the table, stands next to him with the gas mask and it goes, we're leaving. And then like, they just like leave together. I think that's another just brilliant little bit. And, uh, okay. Yeah. I think no, that, I uh, what this, what this movie or this part of the movie specifically really excelled at was having actors who have incredible chemistry continuously just play off each other. And Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, oh, what's her name? It is Lina Le- Lena Cowdery. Lena? Cowdery. Yeah, Cowdery. I mean the my the the shots I'm between were the they're you know after this whole chess match debacle there you know she's like all right you two go off you go make love you know you do your thing and they're riding on the bike you know. And it's nighttime, and you see all the changing lights, like, flash, um, flash by them when they're on the bike. It's either that one, or whenever they have, like, their kiss, and they're in bed, and then the, the room just fades to, like, a starry night behind them. Yeah, that's um, that's in contention for my favorite shot of the entire movie, is uh, think, when they're sitting there naked yeah. across from each other after their kiss, and it fades to the stars. Yeah, that I mean that's that's pretty good. Like I there was no really other shot that hit me like the gut feeling like that one did. That one mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, well, these looked really really good and the moments were really really meaningful too." So it was like a whole it was just very very elevated um already. But yeah, no, that's I'd say all I would go with the uh the star like starry night I I, I don't know just what to call it, but that Every time that, like, there's a first love or, like, a anything in Wes's movies, there's always something to the shot that differentiates it from the rest of the movie. Um, like you said in Moonrise Kingdom with the pink, the rose-colored lenses, like, there's no other shot that looks like that. Um, yeah, and that Isle one is of very Dogs, singular. Isle of Dogs, you have the pink flowers that fly on both of their faces, you know, um, whenever they're, like, kind of... I'd say it's, like, their first true, like romantic moment yeah yeah and then here like the lights flashing on on the bike and then this fantastic starry night you know the the room you know the room just fades away and it's not even there you know that nothing the room doesn't matter at that point you know it's just the kiss and in the moment um so yeah i think i think the kiss is probably what i'd have to land on if i had to but that that's my favorite shot for this part for sure. And then probably the favorite of the whole movie as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be damn, damn difficult to pick one that I like more than that one. Um, cause there's, there's some beautiful shots, but man, it doesn't get a lot better than that one. That was a, uh, that was fucking pretty. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I love that little story. It was one of the, 
You know, it, it, at one point, I would have told you undoubtedly it was my favorite story of this movie. You know, um, mm. and now I can't tell you for sure. I like, I like, like all three of these stories are fucking impeccable, and uh, I think from a all around performances on all sides, every single performance is firing on all cylinders in this one, and I think it, it might make it the best performed uh, on an all around basis. I like, I want to put emphasis on that. Every yeah. person in this does a really good job. I, I think my, the next one probably has my favorite performance overall. But uh, when mm. it comes to every character who played an important role in this story, they all did yeah. a fantastic job. Everyone was on it. Like, everyone was... You're right. Like, this is... This one is very... Um, I guess the previous movies, it's been like... Enjoyment-wise, I enjoyed this far more, you know, than any other movie. But critically, it's, like, a little bit low. I feel like, I don't know, this one's, like, just flipped on its head. It's like, well, critically, I don't really have any problems with this at all mm. other than maybe, like, the way it was put together. But, that, but that's just, like, on first watch. I didn't really know how it was going to happen. But now I appreciate the format looking back on it. Like, I think it's, right. it makes the movie actively better yeah. now. Um and it's I don't know this you're you're right like every performance in this is just like it's on the money man it's incredible yeah and like I guess this this is his most recent movie I guess you know and that that I don't know it it, it every aspect of his movies have come together to make mm. this one you know and like I feel like he's he's always learning like I don't know and he's always changing his craft a little bit but it's it, the style still remains there um and th i don't know this one is the the best hodgepodge of it all her large stupid eyes watched me pee a thousand kisses later will she still remember the taste of my tool on the tip of her tongue apologies mrs Cremens. i know you despise crude language uh just i love it man i love the the storytelling here and i love the God, the recollection mm. of two memories. You, soap scent of drugstore shampoo, mm. ashtray of stale cigarettes, burnt toast. Her, perfume of cheap gasoline, coffee on the breath, too much sugar, cocoa butter skin. Where does she spend her summers? It's smells you finally don't forget. The brain works that way. Just, uh, yeah. I love that this, I feel like Wes Anderson was trying to make a movie that's just an ode to, the written word and i think that's a yeah. like it's, it's hard to make a movie about writing you know like that's yeah Th that's everything that was said was not i don't know it wasn't just like a normal conversation it's not how people would speak you know yeah. like i don't know and and that's i guess some like parts poetry were, but, po yeah. poems don't have to rhyme you know they just have to be creative yeah i don't know maybe kingdom you know it's only because of modern language that we do talk the way we do. No one says that we can't talk like that mm. if we don't want to. You know, it's just that I don't think that's just hard to do. Like, that's just a ta like that's a talent well, that you have to yeah, have. Like, you, you like, have to be intelligent to speak the way that these that these writers write. You know, like that's not that's not easy. Um, the man. like the. Uh, the monologue Kremens gives at the end of that scene where she says, uh, you know, he was not 
He is not an invincible comet speeding on its guided arc toward the outer reaches of the galaxy in cosmic space-time. Rather, he is a boy who will die young. He will drown on this planet in the steady current of the deep, dirty, magnificent river that flows night and day through the veins and arteries of his own ancient city. His parents will receive a telephone call at midnight, dress briskly, mechanically, and hold hands in the silent taxi as they go to identify the body of their cold son. His likeness, mass-produced and shrink-wrapped package, will be sold like bubblegum to the hero-inspired who hope to see themselves like this. The touching narcissism of the young. Whoa. It's like, yes. yo, that's a fucking monologue right there, dude. That's a... Yeah. And I, I just love what it what it has to say about the way that we, you know, uh, package and sell our revolutionary heroes. You know, the, the poster of Che Guevara that's on who knows how many dorm room walls mm-hmm. and and uh, the fucking Karl Marx and posters of him and stuff you know there's there's just all these mm. all yeah. these things that are just uh you know we package it we sell it and who's it serving people who didn't believe in the things they believed in oh people dang, who are making true. money off of their likeness um yeah huh Wow. Yeah, I didn't even catch that part, really, or pay mm-hmm. attention to that whenever. I was just more focused on, like, wait a minute, he's dying young? That I, I heard that, and I was like, wait, wait, right. hold up. I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. And because it didn't show him in the little radio, like, in the radio tower. Is that how, like, how did he die? Like, because was it, he climbed the radio tower, he fixed it, mm-hmm. and then, like, he just stood up there for a while and just, like, was smoking. Yeah, I don't think they told us how he died. Um, Okay, because I didn't know if, like, he just fell off of that, you know, and I'm like... He was, like, electrocuted or whatever. Yeah, I was was trying to... Okay, I I didn't know if it was made clear how he died, but, yeah, I didn't... I think it's another statement on the revolutionary cause. If you were... uh, Even if... He was not fighting a violent revolution, and even Mm. if you aren't fighting a violent revolution, the state will enact a violent retribution. Mm. If you are if you are saying things contrary to the norm Mm -hmm. and uh so even though he wasn't fighting a violent revolution they killed him you know he he inspired too many people that's true Um, yeah oh man wow that's crazy like just looking back at all these stories and actually thinking about them now like dude well they're each individually is just an incredible short story even without the context of the rest of the movie you know like it's uh and again, that's the power of the written word. You can, you can write one of the best things I've ever read in 20 pages. And that's the power of journalism. You know, like that's, uh, mm. that's why journalism is so important. And that's why the written word is so important is that like, uh, it, it can get across things that a two hour long movie can't even get across. You know, that's, uh, it's, it's impeccable. It's, it's incredibly well done. And, uh, yeah, because when I'm watching each of these, I'm like fully engrossed in the story at the time. Like I'm fully with the characters, and then it jumps back to the editing room or something, mm-hmm. and or back with the writer. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's what we're doing here. Like that's what, like, I for for every story, I'm like, I didn't know if that was the rest of the movie or if we were going to another mm-hmm. issue, you know. And I'm like, I I, I don't know. I, well, and, and then you eventually get to Roebuck writes. And you're kind of going, I hope this isn't the last one. That's true. Yeah. It started you know, out you're as like, like once true. you have the format, you're like, 
oh, is there another one after this? Can there be another one after this, please? Uh, Roebuck, right, man. That was... Yeah. I was uh, first watch. It was... Fourth watch for me. Um, I've done a really good job so far in this project. This is the eighth movie we've covered. Never once have I given the performance and character to the same person. Um, I'm confidently doing it here. Um, yeah. Jeffrey Wright as Roebuck Wright is the best part of this movie. And arguably in a career that I absolutely adore from Jeffrey Wright, his best work. I think that like it's, uh, mm. yeah, he, he does so fucking good in this, in this movie, man. And, uh, mm. I, I love him as Roebuck Wright. So let's get into that last story there. Um, what else has he done that would be up to this level? I mean, Westworld. Like, Westworld. That's that's the one that was ringing a bell for sure. I'm like, I like I like his Jim Gordon a lot, but he doesn't have yeah, to do the things he does in this to... movie. I don't think. Uh, it's yeah, you're right. This is. I love had... him in the movie Shaft. He plays People Hernan People's Hernandez. Um, that no nowhere near this level once again, but still fr- freaking awesome. Uh, I just I really do love this Jeffrey Wright and yeah, no, uh, this. This one, it was clear after my first watch. I'm like, performance of the movie, I was between Jeffrey Wright and Francis McDormand. And then I was like, it's, it, I think it's just Jeffrey Wright. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I was trying to, and that's crazy, is that I'm, I'm between Francis McDormand and Jeffrey Wright. And I was trying to find a way that Francis McDormand could beat Jeffrey Wright. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think I can in this one. Like, he just, his voice is already so naturally amazing that if he's just, just speaking, captivating it's, it's, dude oh my he God. Can... yeah and i i don't know like the the single tear he had dude, um don't and cry. don't cry why why what's up with that what's up with that rule um you know, is it is it the journalistic integrity you know i think thing, it is or i think it is i think it's a it's a very commonly held belief in journalistic circles that you cannot get attached to the story or uh, make it emotional in any way so it's a conditioning exercise to make sure that when they are doing their job they don't cry they don't get emotional they don't get invested in that way Um, and at the end it comes to bite them like they're writing an obituary, something like in, in, in a man is dead, and like you are supposed to be crying right there. Yes, you they're are doing supposed a job, to be, ah, dude. But, but like, I don't, I don't know. think it bites them though. That's that's the thing is that that's the that's the sort of send off he would want. It's like a, okay, it's fair. a journalist's like an editor. He had an editor's burial, you know. Like mm-hmm. that's that's when it comes to an obituary, a eulogy is for the emotion and obituary is the here's what his life was here's everything he that's did that's fair this is I, what we do here okay um i just i don't know i i see the i guess it, it does make sense on one hand to like not get attached to your stories so that you don't envelop your own emotion into them and stuff like that but then you like kind of i don't know i feel like that's just a piece of your humanity that's just like you have to suppress that's such a like there are moments where all of these writers want to cry, like, and it is clear that they like are going to or about well, to. And then and there's there's all of them have something where they do not maintain journalistic integrity. 
you know, uh, J.K.L. Berenson slept with Moses Rosenthaler and mm-hmm. Lucinda Kremens slept with Zeffirelli and uh, Roebuck Wright. He didn't nec- he didn't break journalistic integrity in the same way that uh, they all did. But he went back and wrote a story about the place where he was locked up and the, mm. the chef that and that's automatically inherently breaking journalistic integrity. You're not supposed to write about stuff you have have prior experience or a bias against likely um and if you were locked up in a place you likely don't like that place um that's true yeah and his his whole passion was food as well and he's writing about like a chef you know he chooses to write about food more than anything and that's the thing he chooses to write about food but what's the point that uh how uh makes is that uh this is hardly about the chef. You know, he's like, yeah. perhaps you missed the part where I was shot and shot at and chased in a, in a car and, and this stuff. And, and even then that's, that's covering up for what his story was actually about, I think. And it's, uh, it, it why does he like, what is, whenever he's like, this is what the story's, you know, this is what it's about. Like, keep it in there. Like, oh my God, how could you get rid of this? And he's like, I couldn't disagree more, you know, like, I couldn't agree less. Or I couldn't agree less. That's what he says. It's like, I don't know. I think, I, that's, I think that is the lack of journalistic integrity in Roebuck, right? Is that more than the other, um, more than the other writers on his staff, whenever he has experienced a human moment, he wants to keep it to himself. It's his moment. It's a moment that he had with this mm-hmm. man that is important. You know, it's important to both of them. And the way he tried to maintain journalistic integrity was by keeping that to himself. That might have been the part that was the most um, emotional for him. I see. So he kept it out. But that's what he tells him is the point of the story. So he's dis- he doesn't agree with it because he thinks it's breaking his journalistic yeah, integrity I think so. by including it in there. Yeah. Okay. I think he thinks that it's uh, it was an honest, vulnerable moment that this chef wanted to share off the record. It, and... Not technically off the record, he didn't say that or anything, but like, uh, the dude just woke up after being poisoned and he just started talking. And I think it's supposed to be like, uh, he was like, he wanted to be respectful of Mm -hmm. that and didn't want to include it. It was an honest human moment between someone who experienced something they never thought they could or never thought they would. My headcanon is they escape into the sunset and they're, they're together. Because like, mm. how how much how better could that be? You know, a guy who oh, loves love food that. and all of that, and then you get like one of the best. You know, the guy best, was just yeah. making making food for for is cops. It, you know, like is it and, an underling or Nescafier himself? Yeah. You know, like he's a legend. You know, yeah. Every, everyone knows Nescafier for cops. You know, and it's like it's like, and he had to limit his cooking ability to make sure that he didn't, you know, uh, contaminate a crime scene or whatever. They were like. Um, sauces were dehydrated for blah, 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 and, and no crunchy foods to keep the noise down. So it's like, even if he's the greatest chef in the world or like a legend, but he can't even fully cook everything that he wants to. Um, mm. and, and I don't know, I, that like, I'm, I think, yeah, no, there's Jeffrey Wright. I, 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 I still can't, I, it's, if I had to pick one favorite, 
out of the three stories, it would probably be that one just because of Jeffrey Wright's performance of it. Like, I think the actual story elements, I like the revolutionary story more. Like, that's just, I get behind that a lot easier, you know, and that's like, that's exciting to watch and fun. And the Moses' story, I I fully, you know, I'm, I'm down with too, but like just Jeffrey Wright did, did so well with his role and, and like actually like was an emotional moment there like with the chef like whenever he was like like that that's just a taste i i've never experienced it was it was kind of like the the uh um chief getting his first dog biscuit you know Mm -hmm. like uh it was kind of similar to that where it was like a forbidden forbidden thing that never you would have never even thought but then once you got to it it's it's a whole new experience and that's that's what it's the experience is what it was for not not that he would, you know, that he likes the taste because he was like, yeah, no, it's not particularly enjoyable, but I just, I've never experienced that before. I've never had it. And, and it was, I don't know, it reminded me of, of just Chief getting his, his first dog biscuit. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's a goodie. That is a goodie. I, I, I like the way that his, there, the reason that I think the, that little moment at the end, you know, maybe, maybe one day we'll find what has eluded us for so long you know like uh, Mm. i think the reason he thought to exclude that is because his whole story and like deeply embedded in that in that more flashy narrative of a kidnapping and a and a a heist and a ransom etc um Mm -hmm. is about being lonely you know and he he shares a moment with someone, a true honest moment, and he wants to keep that for himself. He doesn't want he doesn't want that to become yeah. everyone else's. He want he want like uh, yeah. he wants it to be his. Uh, because my favorite line of the movie and of this uh, of this scene, so he got he, he got a lot across the board. Yeah, um, for me was definitely a. Uh, you see, people may or may not be mildly threatened by your anger, hatred, your pride, but love. Love the wrong way, and you will find yourself in great jeopardy. And that's, that is the most, that's the line where you go, if you didn't get it before, it's like, oh yeah, he's, he's definitely gay. And he was locked in prison for being gay. And, and he was put in prison for six days with no one to talk to him in the chicken coop where he found Willem Dafoe. Um, which is why when he approaches Willem Dafoe and he's like, uh, have you been in the chicken coop for long? You know, it's like, he's like, I know what it's like in there. It can't be good. And it pans down. Roebuck Wright was here. Like, uh, he's got far and away the best and most emotional story in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I came off, I think it, that's why they ended it with that one. They you know, knew, like they, that, they knew what the end of this movie was. Yeah. Yeah. And and that, that it is interesting that they're the one writer that we don't check in with, and it's like, oh no, he's finishing it. You know, I hear I hear is him typing in the other room. Don't you mm-hmm. know? Don't don't interrupt. And I, I didn't think anything of it at the time, but it's just to to let it build and let it build. You know, let it build over time, mm-hmm. and it will eventually get to it, and and it will be the end of the like the end. And oh yeah, I'm trying to think like because yeah, this one it has the the comic book kind of stuff like animation. Yes, yeah. Here, which was really really cool with and like, ed norton escaping with the child yeah um was that 
I don't know. That child, his voice seemed really was was that I don't know his. I don't know why, but whoever I don't know if whoever played that child, I don't know why his voice sounded familiar. But I, I probably won't. Do you know the kid's name? That kid's name in the movie by chance? His character don't. name. Um. Uh, Gigi. Gg yes, Gg Win- Winson Alt Hellal. That's it. Apparently, just the French. Okay, never mind. Just a uh, something in the wind. I don't know, but um, some kid. But uh, I don't know. Even even that like little moment that he has with the I don't know showgirl or whatever. Like we sing me a lullaby. I'm scared. Yeah, you know? Horsey or Ronan, baby. Yeah, like what what color are your eyes? You know, and like I don't, it was just like a Dude, really, that flash like, to the. The bright blue of her eyes, fucking gorgeous. Swarcy Ronan like, is an astonishing yeah. looking human being. Oh, and there's so many like just little things in this that I'm like, wow, this this part of the movie is just just so good. And then it goes back to Jeffrey Wright, and I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm now I'm I don't know now it's even better. Um, but I don't know, I I really liked that the whole shebang of that story, like every everything about it, it was just done so well. And and like the the action sequence, you know, like the this is how I imagine war happened back then. It's just two firing squads on either mm-hmm. side, just absolutely just you know going at it. Whenever like they just, showed like the infiltration, and everyone's <laughs> just like pointing guns in random directions, someone descending <laughs> from a yeah. rope, like it's it's outstanding, man. And uh, yeah. that's what I love about this movie overall too is that there's a very storybook kind of feel to it. The whenever a shot is like layered like to show distance like with uh owen wilson at the beginning of the movie when he is very clearly not riding a bike on a street or riding on a train or a bus or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you know like they did that on purpose to make it feel like mm-hmm. a make it feel like a drawing like a yeah. two-dimensional picture like you're reading it like it's on mm. a page like that's a that's a brilliant choice, dude. And, uh, oh, that's going to be cool to look back on now. To look at at the visuals as if I'm reading a magazine, mm-hmm. because that step, like you're right, there are definitely th- like it is made out to be that way on on yeah, a lot multiple, of jobs. multiple occasions, oh, multiple okay. occasions. But uh, yeah, and uh, I, I, man, I adored Roebuck Wright. I adored Jeffrey Wright's performance of him. You know, uh, the. Another little detail that I didn't catch that Emily pointed out to me when we were watching it is that uh, the colors of the set that he is telling the story on with Liev Schreiber um, is uh, are the colors of the MLM flag, the men loving men flag. Um, oh, the the blues and greens and whites like that. Those are the varying colors on 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 the uh, men loving men flag. So it's another little another little hint at him being wow. into men. Um, so there's just a, I was like, oh yeah, it is. I didn't even catch that. You know, it's just a uh, just a brilliant choice, dude. There's there's so many things there that I I fucking love, and uh, his his affinity for you know the finer things, the 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 things when he is asked, you know, why do you write about food, and he's like, never. Never ask a man why. Mm. Who, how, what, when, these are all fine, but why it, it tightens a fellow up. <laughs> um that that whole thing just uh and you know, that's a good point. You know, why is a crucial question most of the time. 
but his his reasoning you know self-reflection is best done in privacy if done at all you know mm. it's it's done it's best done within the sanctity of yourself not uh not for other people not for the masses to analyze and uh huh. yeah that's that that makes a lot more sense why he kept that moment to himself then you know even more like it's it was really a moment like he saw it as like more of a moment for the chef you know mm-hmm. like that was like that's his moment that's his like kind of private moment he was just there as well but you know whenever he's like yeah well we'll if if good luck you know we'll we'll find our home you know we're both foreigners we're both in in foreign foreign places we don't really belong but seeking you know, maybe... something missing missing yeah. something left behind god jeffrey wright was just maybe oh. with good luck we'll find what eluded us in this in the places we once called home I just want him to narrate everything from here on out. Like, I don't just, or just be in, well, like, I don't, he's, he's in Asteroid City, right? I'm pretty sure. Yes, he will be in uh, Asteroid City. Which, okay. um, he will be in Asteroid City. But, the, like, the layered, the layeredness of the time period this takes place in, you know, uh, this is set in 1975, the present time, whenever uh, How, Howerwitz has passed away. 1975. Um, whenever you're talking about a black gay man who has fled the United States and headed for Europe in the sixties, presumably, you know, he's, he, he mm. kind of states that he's kind of a traveler. He hasn't been settled down anywhere. You know, the, the little, there is a particular beauty well known to the companionless foreigner as he walks the streets of his adopted, preferably moonlit city. In my case, on we friends, I have so often I have so often shared the day's glittering discoveries, and then it smash cuts to him alone in the studio with no one at all. But always somewhere along the avenue or the boulevard, there was a table set for me, a cook, a waiter, a bottle, a glass, a fire. I chose this life. It is the solitary feast that has been very much like a comrade, my great comfort and fortification. Wow. That's what's so important to him about this moment with the chef, you know, like it's uh he, it is he is that passion of his personified. You know, it, mm-hmm. it it is like yeah. He's he's meant to be the companion, the the fortification, the comfort, you know, all mm-hmm. in one person kind of summarized in Scoffier. And that's a brilliant choice. Yeah, dude. I love I love how right before he says that he's like well, I don't even really know what I'm about to say, but here mm. I go. You know, that yeah. sort of thing. Like, I, I've never, I don't even know, but here you go. Here's here's my answer. He's and like, I've I mean, never reflected on why I write about food. Yeah, ever. and I think it was part of the reason they had him recite, you know, everything he's ever written. He has type typog or, or whatever memory. Typographic uh, memory. Yeah, typographic memory. And he can recite anything he's ever written. And I think that was like, they were kind of seeing him as like, a robot, or not necessarily, but just kind of like a a writer, and not not a human necessarily. Bring yourself back then, online, Arnold. He, then he gets to actually speak from the heart, and like you actually mm-hmm. just hear him not recite anything, and he's coming up with something new, and it's just as beautiful as all of his previous right. You know, it's like it's mm-hmm. he. That's just how he talks, and I don't know. Yeah, Je- Jeffrey Wright just blew me away in this movie. Yeah, um, and he yeah he's he took the performance easily. And uh, character, I guess I was between Benicio del Toro as Moses and and Jeffrey Wright. But after talking about it, yeah, no, I I, I can't do that. Uh, if if we're picking overall favorites, it's 
it's Jeffrey Wright for both of them uh, mm. for me. And, and, uh, I think I, I'm, I don't know. I'm trying to, to find the, the best scene out of, out of this part. And it might be his why explanation that, that might be it. Or just the, um, him sitting with, um, Bill Murray in like, I guess the end there when he's like, no, this is you like, this is the best because you get like, mm him picking it up out of the trash can. It's the one piece of paper that's in the trash can. He picks yeah. it up and just hands it to him. He knows it's good. Like, yeah. that's the thing. He knows it's He knows good. that once he reads it, it's in. Yeah, you like know? 100%. Uh-huh. He hands it to him already knowing that. And yeah. and then you get that moment. Like, you see the moment between the chef and, and, and Roe, and it's just, I don't know, it was like, it was just a beautiful scene. I think that, that'd probably be, be my scene out of, out of this section. Um, yeah, the the scene between Roebuck and Nescafier is probably the best scene for me. Um, it's probably where I'm going to have to go with it too. Um, trying to think of where else I would even I would even think to go because that that's one of those moments that kind of that that does like evoke tears for me. Oh yeah. Um, mm. And then like the thing that I this is similar to Grand Budapest Hotel for me. Um, the very, my favorite scene of the movie is the writing of the obituary. Um, Mm. that's, that's, that is my overall favorite scene. Um, my favorite, my favorite line was the, uh, you know, uh, but love the wrong way and you will find yourself in great jeopardy. That, that whole little monologue performance character, Jeffrey Wright, um, seeing that it's got, it's gotta be that, um, Mm. because Whenever they start to sit down and they they pay homage to this man who has meant so much to them and given them an outlet to create the things they want to create, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, bro. I fucking sob at mm. the end of this movie. Like it's it borders it it rivals the cries of every other movie for me, and I don't know why. Like I just. I just start crying as soon as like uh they're all in there together, mumbling over each other, putting the will together together, and or not the will, the uh the obituary together, mm-hmm. and all of them just kind of we've seen them in their own element, you know, we've seen them writing with his support throughout the entire movie, um, but then for them to come together and be like, well, we all. We all fucking love this guy, you know. We we all even the, even the illustrator who got his ass ripped by him at the beginning of the movie. The only guy we saw him get angry at was the illustrator, you know. He's like, "What? Yeah. I wanted a roasted turkey stuffed in, you know, like a." Uh-huh. He even draw. He's like, "That's and Owen Wilson walks over. He's like, "Yeah, that's him. That's Arthur, you know, like a." <laughs> it it started as a holiday. Did it really? I don't know. Kinda. You know, that's that's hilarious, you know, but uh, I really thought there was going to be something more with the don't cry because the shot of in the office, it was covered up by one of the lampshades, like one of the the lights that's hanging down from the ceiling. It's half covered up like it's you only see like the bottom half of the no crying above the door. And I really thought that they were going to be like, I don't know. I thought they were maybe going to be like, maybe we get rid of that or like I or, or like I in my head. They all stayed here and none, you know, their contracts are up and they all got bonuses and stuff. But like, 
I don't, in my head, they, they like, build, they build their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's not the French dispatch, you know, maybe they'll call it something different and say like that truly ended with him. You know, it's how he wanted to go yeah. out and everything, but, but here's whatever is up next, you know? Yeah. You know, and I think that, uh, it, it is, it is a fun thing to head cannon, uh, just cause I've thought about, I've thought about that a lot. Like what would happen next if there, if there was going to be a next at all. And, uh, you know, I have this idea in my head that it is the sad, the sad option, the sad in the sense that you, you, you would, you would hate to see it happen. And that's why it's not in the movie. It's why it's not mm. part of it where they're, their, yeah, their jobs, their jobs done. Their publication is shut down and that they, they probably never see each other again. You know, like that's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a few of them, you know, write for the same publication at some point, but, uh, mm. you know, I kind of take it that a lot of them are travelers by nature. Um, they'll probably go their own, that's their own true. places, their own ways. Yeah. I, I imagine Roebuck stays in Ennui. It seems like that's his like elected home now. Mm-hmm. Um, Sazerac seems to have a, an affinity for Ennui, but when it comes to Kremens and, uh, Berenson, they never seemed like they were tied down to a place at all. Like they, they're just, they're just, their home is mm-hmm. whatever story they're writing. And I think that's kind of, uh, that's kind of beautiful, kind of compelling, but, uh, Got to imagine that there's more places to write non-we than the French Dispatch. I'm assuming that a few of them will just stick around and find find their homes. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know that you're right though. That's why they didn't show it. They leave yeah. it open ended. It's better, better yep. to leave it open ended than to show whatever. I don't yep. know. It's what? it's a fake the world, anyway. You know, no, it's but, just a, yeah. this is the end of the movie. You know, and uh, the I can't even articulate exactly what it is that just absolutely fucks me up at the end man but i just uh i just break whenever they they're all sitting there kind of looking back on the publication because it's 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 not just a mourning period for uh arthur it is a mourning period for the job that they all have and love that mm-hmm. this publication is done so whenever they're you know the eulogy or obituary we do here is partially for arthur and it is partially for the uh the french dispatch because uh here let me find the uh the script for it because it is it's really good but uh mm. oh where are thou i can't find it but regardless it is really really compelling and i uh i just absolutely adore it but the you know it, it started as a holiday and they they continue on arthur was a uh was a man whose his dad owned the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun, and he wanted to open his own little side venture within the paper, and so it, it ends up being kind of it kind of eulogizes both. Yeah, it began as a holiday. Arthur Howitzer Jr., college freshman eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, convinced his father, proprietor of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun, to fund his transatlantic passage as an educational opportunity to learn the family business through the production of a series of travelogue columns to be published to local readers in the Sunday Picnic magazine. You know, it becomes it, it becomes beyond Arthur. It's bigger than him, and I think that's something he would have really, really liked. And uh, Yeah, no, it was a perfect... Perfect send off, you know, and and I even love the little detail. They're like, "Is someone here? Is someone gonna like come get him?" And they're like, "The funeral home's on strike, right? Yeah, now, or something like that." Strike the morgue. I don't know. I you might have predicted the future. I mean, was there was there a previous strike than the one that's going on right now? 
Oh, there's um, been several writing strikes, uh, but it's uh, the time because this was 2021, so it's like two. I just didn't know if there was one that was going on like during. No, the last one, the last prominent one prior to the one that's happening now was in 2007. So it was a while Ah, back. Okay. Okay. Um, but I don't know, kind of interesting little, I mean, it might've just been a throwaway line. I don't know. Just like a funny thing, but now is kind of like a, I just, uh, strikes are more prevalent than ever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, in a movie about writing, you know, Mm -hmm. and all, um, but no, this, this was like, I've never, I've always, throughout school and everything, I've hated English, I've hated, reading is more of what I hate. Right. But whenever I was allowed just to go. Go, yeah. No prompt, no, you know, maybe a, a very open-ended prompt. But, like, just, when I, whenever it was just not like, alright, read this book, tell me about this chapter, this chapter, and whatever. I don't know, like, I was, that didn't really interest me. But, like, I, just to be able to create something and... um do that was was my i don't know i I really love doing that and that's why i loved being on the newspaper you know like uh because when i was on the newspaper i started as you know just a reporter and then when i was a junior i was the entertainment editor so i got to decide what was on the entertainment page it was basically nothing but stuff i was interested in you know Mm. Um, yeah I, i had a bunch of people looking into stuff that i liked and talking about it um and then I got to be editor in chief. I got to be the editor of of our newspaper. So, dang the weight that that comes with, you know, I think that uh, the relationship that happens between an editor and a writer. And I only did it at the high school level, and it was goddamn difficult at the high school level, just because at least what Arthur's got going on is a bunch of people where this is what they want to do with their fucking lives. I had to like pry stories out of people's heads. You know, if you look if you yeah. look at our paper from senior year, I think uh, every issue was comprised of probably 20-ish stories. It was guaranteed I was writing a fourth of them at least. Wow. Uh, at least 5, Damn. at least 5 an issue for the 8 months we ran. But Pretty like well, uh, you became editor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I was astonished I became editor. Like uh, the other two people that I was up uh, up against for editor were Tavares, other founding oh, wow. member of this podcast, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Delaney Jackson. Um, ah, yeah. And uh, okay. I was uh, when I got chosen, I was like, no fucking way. I didn't even want I didn't even think I was. Going to get it, you know, I was just like, yeah, sure, I'll go ahead and sign up for editor in chief and we'll see. Uh, and then I got it and I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Um, <laughs> a lot more work than you thought it was going to be maybe. Or uh, did dude, it, I would stay, like- uh, we would stay after school. I would be there until 5 PM, bro. Just uh, on, on deadline weeks, fucking nightmarish. Uh, but I loved it. You know, yeah, I loved like the grind. Doing it. The grind is, you know, like, and I look back on it. I'm sure at the time I was like, oh my God, like, can this please slow down? Now I look back and I'm like, God, I wish I could be in a writing room. There, there was this again. little yeah. back lab that we had that, and I, it, it's not so much a, a vying for like the high school experience. It's, it's just that environment was so fun and it bred creativity mm-hmm. and people just talking back there about what they were writing and how they wanted to approach it. I loved being the editor of the, of the newspaper, especially all the shit that we got. It was so much fun. Um, hmm. 
Yeah, that just I don't know that that would be a fun invite. Like that's that's a I don't know that I, I I was always more of a number cruncher or more of a science guy. You know that that's what I was what I was into or, or just better at I guess. And I really wish I don't know because that was one of my favorite field trips I ever had was senior year English class. We just went downtown Kansas City, did three or four different locations, and we were just write whatever comes to your mind. No mm. grade, no anything, just. We're going on this field trip just to go, and that's it. That's the shit. I mean, it was, I don't know, that was that was a blast, like, just writing. I wrote, like, there was a construction building across from a coffee shop, and, and I remember a scene where, like, I, I don't know, did this come out at the time? I think so. I, like, I, Tony um, getting the Hulk and just smashing him through, I think it may be Age of Ultron yeah, or something, yeah. when he just smashes him through a whole building to, like, take it him out. It doesn't really work. Before, yeah. And, and I saw that, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to write my own kind of little thing about that. And then I go yeah, to, like, right. a, a library, and, and then I'm completely in a different vein. Like, not even close to superheroes. I'm like, it's a story about my own life or something, hmm. like, the next thing. And it's like, that, I don't know, that was a blast. Like, just, Yeah, man. Writing, writing's a lot of fun, man. And it's just, uh, it, it is work, though. Like, it's not an easy, mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing to maintain. Even, even now for the Patreon, you know, I like to... I've been trying my best to write one thing a week and even that gets hard, you know, I'm like, uh, just, just finding the time, finding the motivation, finding something I really want to write. Like that's not, that's not easy, you know? And, uh, mm. it, it, that's where the deadlines and stuff kind of do come in when it forces you to do something. You're like, what can I make yeah. in the next month that I want to talk about? You yeah. Know? It's kind of and, like on, on one hand, you wish deadlines weren't really a thing. And that you could just go and, and create what you want at your own pace. But then it, that's what separates kind of the good writers. Mm. And, well, and that's, from... that's, that's what separates writing specifically from other art forms. You know, I think you can crunch writing, uh, specifically journalistic writing. You know, like there's a, there's a difference between like writing a book and yeah. writing an article. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's a whole other ball game. But, uh, even writing a book, it's good to have deadlines. It motivates you to go ahead mm-hmm. and do do the things you need to do. I want to have this many chapters done by this date or whatever the hell, you know, like it's mm. deadlines do serve a good purpose when it comes to the written medium. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. I think you should let artists breathe and kind of do what they're going to do. But uh, yeah, man, yeah. I... Every every time I've come off a West movie, I've always been like, man, there's something that he always just speaks on that's so powerful, and it gets me to think mm. of the real world. And this one is like the written word. Oh man. my god, was th- I mean, this was just it was all made up, and this is all none of this happened in real life, but it, it sure as shit could have. Like yeah. every single one of these stories could have happened in real life, mm-hmm. and and like it's it's so fantastic, but very very real at the same time. Um. I was surprised that these actually weren't based off true stories at the end of this. Right. Like I, like I, I would have legitimately thought like, Oh yeah, this is so well written. Like it probably just happened. And they just, you know, made up a few things in between here and there and, and you know, went that route. But uh, no, that's man. That's, I don't know. That's crazy that this is how he balances the, the fantastic nature versus the harsh reality of what, you know, the point he's trying to get across. Mm. Um, and yeah, this, I don't know, this one is, you did not hype it up too much cool. at all. This one was, was very, very good. And, and I was, I would probably, I don't know, I was a little, 
I was just stunlocked after it. I was just like, wow. Like, that was just so different from every single one of his other movies. Well, and that's what's so fascinating about it. Like I said, this is my fourth viewing of it this year, along with Moonrise Kingdom and Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I've commented on how those are probably my preferable comfort movies. I I don't even necessarily define this as a comfort movie, but if it's, Mm. it's just, it's inspiring. It's motivating, you know, like it's, Mm -hmm. it's creative fuel to watch the French dispatch. I think, I think it motivates me. Ah. It motivates me to write. It makes me want to go do those things. Like that's a, and that's a power of this movie that some of those other movies just don't have, you know, and uh, it's not the same as a comfort movie, but it's a certain, it's a certain uh, version of comfort that I I really enjoy. It's like, Kind of like watching like a Rocky or a Creed movie and then coming yeah. out being like, all right, now I'm going to train. I've never yeah. wanted to fight once in my life, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to get a punch in the bag ring. and yeah. I'm going to, I'm just going to train. It's and like, it's- get me a fucking pen, homie. I'm about to go nuts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, yeah. yeah I mean, I was legitimately, I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Maybe I just, anybody of- got a typewriter. I'm trying Dude, to go crazy. Francis McDormand sitting with a pillow and a typewriter. Like I yep. want, like that is sad. When she's writing be- with the gas mask on, like uh, <laughs> all the different ways that these people try to get in the mind of like what they were experiencing while they were like, yeah, what they were experiencing to write it. Like that's, that's, that's a great, great little tactic, man. I love, I love that shit. So, uh, hmm. yeah, I'm super high on this movie. Um, Oh yeah. This is amongst my favorite Wes Anderson movies. Um probably on a personal level, and I will not blame anyone for having a different opinion than this. You know, I went into great detail about how I have a very great history with journalism and a passion mm-hmm. for it and stuff. So it will resonate with me differently than most people, but this is top three. You know, mm-hmm. with Moonrise and probably the Darjeeling Limited. Um it's it's top three. I don't know the uh, don't know the order, but I do know that's probably the case. Yeah, we gotta we gotta keep our own journalistic integrity here when we're when we're going for the critical rating. But enjoyment that's, that's all us. That's all us. You know, that that doesn't matter whatsoever. Hey man. But that doesn't fucking matter. And that's uh that's a thing. I don't I don't wanna uh, I don't wanna invoke Sumai if I don't have to. But uh, I don't think you I don't think you shall need to. Um, is this are you at a ten enjoyment? For me, for me, this is a sure, surefire ten, and that's the I thing think, is that like, uh, I will not complain about a nine seven five though. Um, hmm. Okay, because that would tie it with Grand Budapest, or it's either is it on the same level as Moonrise, which we did give a ten, or on Grand Budapest level with nine seven five. I think from and that's what's interesting is that from an emotional response sort of level is more similar to Grand Budapest than it is Moonrise Kingdom for me, you know. Um and that Grand it Budapest just didn't happens inspire at the end. me at the end though to no. go in and do no. that's the difference. This, that's yeah, this like movie makes me this movie makes me want to write. And I think that's that's a different it's it's hard to do, you know. There are a few movies that make me want to make me want to read and write and stuff. You know, I think of like Before Sunrise, it's a Richard Linklater movie with Ethan Hawke and Julia Delpy, like from 1994 or something, 93, 95, somewhere in that range. And I remember after I watched that movie, I was like, I want, I need to get back into writing fucking poetry, you know, like that. That's a rare movie. Whenever you watch something and it's like, oh, I want to fucking write. And all those movies make me so endlessly happy. You know, I'm just, I, I love watching those types, types of movies. So, uh, hmm. 
this yeah. one this one for me is a 10 on a personal level but a 975 I I won't I won't gripe with I'm I'm alright with giving it a ten because even on first watch I'm I was inspired and like I was like I a person who doesn't really write or do anything like that at all I was like man I might you know instead of reading for like thirty minutes before bed I might just like open up a journal and just start going you know and just good and that's writing something before that's good for more reasons than just uh, than just it's it's a good way to flex your creative muscles man to. Come up with a prompt in your own head, or just kind of let it go. Write about your day or whatever. It's a it's a great way to do things, and uh, I'd I'd recommend it. I know I would, but uh, yeah, no, I'm 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 comfortable with a ten. You know, I mean, it's it's either a nine seven five or a ten, but I I I would elevate it above Grand Budapest. Like this, Grand Budapest was awesome, and I love that movie. But this this in, hit me on just a deeper level, like mm-hmm. a deeper level that Grand Budapest didn't quite get to, and yeah, that's. No, no sumai needed here. I think. Bet. bet. Um, now, where we do need to maintain the journalistic integrity here is the critical rating, and I would, I would, very plainly and honestly say this is far from his best work. Um, Wes Anderson's. I think it is a great movie. You know, uh, we've we've talked about this, or I've talked about the scale before on our comic book movie project. When I call something a seven, it's good. If it's eight, it's great. When it's nine, it's nearly perfect. If it's ten, it is perfect. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, this is, this is in the eights, you know, I, uh, I, I'm confident in that. I don't think it's quite a nine. I don't think I can go that high confidently. Um, and I don't know how much I can elevate it above the life aquatic or Isle of dogs if I can at all. Um, I think it's like the format of it. It works really, really well on second watch, but I was a little lost mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. And that's, that's the thing is that I think that. I don't know. I, I think it's I think lovely. Thing, though. Like it's a lovely visual movie. The soundtrack. I adore this soundtrack. This might be my favorite soundtrack from a Wes Anderson movie. The mm-hmm. the little French Dispatch theme, which has become the TikTok trend song that plays on every single one of those day in the life in the eyes of Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, uh, revisions to a manifesto theme that like swelling, beautiful sound. Like it's just gorgeous. Um, I think it's incredibly creative, incredibly inventive. The performances are outstanding. Like I said, um, we have a Kansas City Film Critics Circle Award. Goddamn right, um, we do. I guess a best original screenplay was nominated for it. Um, I was gonna say it's damn well written. You know, like that. That's and it's it's incredibly well edited. It's incredibly well shot. It's just uh, when it comes to the formatting of the movie, you can get lost, and that's uh, that is important. You know, you. You'd prefer not to get lost. A, a movie that's formatted in a similar way where you don't know exactly when everything is happening um, that works far less for me is Pulp Fiction. Um, you know, yeah. you're kind of you're kind of like, wait, where, that's where not is like this? this? When's this? What's yeah, that about? That, you know, that's not like um, this at all. Uh, there's a consistency in tone and stuff. And uh, it, is... it, it, there's there's almost a an idea here that it's like it doesn't matter when certain things happen. And that kind of makes it it kind of makes it better. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the the literal, makes you enjoy it more. literal passing it down it. of a dog tag showing that like this is the younger version. Like it's like mm-hmm. okay, that part is not important to the movie. You obviously know that it's a different actor. What like whatever. Like just get past it. Like it's it's not important to the movie. And 
what is important to the movie are the moments that he highlights that like the the camera does focus on it you know they Wes is very very good at making you know like what he wants you to focus on um hmm. the kiss scene yeah. when they kiss like when the stars go like it's starry like you're kind of you see it at first but then you're you're illuminated your and yeah. yeah it's like it draws you into the kiss to the moment mm-hmm. um and yeah, that's man. It's a gorgeous so sequence so yeah i think I don't know. I, I I would put it like I'd even like, elevate it to an eight five if we if yeah, you want it. I think it. Um, I think it. Like it's that's the only bad thing is like on first watch. But if you watch it again, you know what the movie is. All of that stuff kind of goes away. Hmm. And I do think it's fair to criticize it. Like a movie should be viewed. You know, you shouldn't have to view it twice to get everything out of it. True. Um, and that's probably why a lot of people don't like it. They they watched it. They didn't really get it, and they were like, okay, I'm out. You know, like I, I don't, right. I don't need to watch that again. That that wasn't really my jam, and I can't um, blame anyone for that. Yeah, I can't. But I, I think either, I, I, either on the same level as as Life Aquatic or Eight Five, I was like Eight Five is is comfortable for me. But I, I'm comfortable with also tying it with uh, Life Aquatic and and uh, I guess Isle of Dogs as well. Um, but I don't know. I think I, I'm I gonna, like I think I'm gonna elevate it a little bit above those. I think, yeah, I think, it, uh, it, it there's a bigger, a way bigger focus of this movie like this oh yeah this isn't just uh the you know of steve z you know zisu finding you know his his path or or you know some dog i don't know like those movies are great and i love them but this arthur steve zisu if he never lost his way homie if he found his passion and he just he just loved everybody who wanted to get into it man he's a he's a a stand-up man and uh there's 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 a grandeur to uh you know isle of dogs this fantasticalness and and everything but this one is so there's there's this visual language and rhythm and almost beat that the movie moves to it's so satisfying it's Mm -hmm. so fulfilling to watch and for on a personal note uh, i i adore it and i i yeah you'll never be able to convince me that it's it's Below average, you know. Uh, I think I'll, it's I'll also some politics in there as well that maybe yeah. get some people to to not like the movie. Um, but I don't know that. I guess I'm I'm kind of in agreement with everything that's being said in the movie. Yeah. So like, I guess maybe my my journalistic integrity isn't isn't you know, f- or being whatever I don't sacrificed. Know, yeah, I, I might I might be might be dipping into that a little bit, but. Um, I don't know. It's it's all not real, actually. You know, it and it all comes back to the Darjeeling Limited with with the uh, just you know, these are all made up characters. These are all fictional characters. I don't know what you're talking about. And then it's like, yeah, right. No, no, no it's not. You know, no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Wow. IMDb gives us a seven point one out of ten critically, and then. Let's see on the good old Rotten Tomatoes, which has usually been closer um, to to our ratings. It is audience seventy six, critically seventy five. Yeah, we're so like, I'm, around the same. We're kind. I'm kind to this movie, and uh, I'm 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 well aware of that. You know, there's a like the letterboxed rating is a three point seven. You know, which is a little bit lower than a few of his mm. others. You know, Darjeeling Limited only got a three point eight. Moonrise Kingdom gets a four. Mm. Uh, Grand Budapest gets a four point two on Letterbox. 
Life Aquatic got a three point eight. So like it's he kind of hovers in that in that range there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, even Isle of Dogs has a higher critical rating than this one on Letterboxd or a rating on Letterboxd, but I don't know. I'm so glad I... that this wasn't my first Wes Anderson viewing. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like if you come into this and this is your first one, it is kind of jarring. Like, this, oh, yeah. his style is hard. Like, it's, it's his very movies nice. have been building to this. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and doing this project is very, like, this, it has helped, like, viewing this movie for sure because. You just see all the little things that he's learned from mm-hmm. all of his movies, and just it That's is why a I'm so fucking all. excited for Asteroid City, man. Like, he's, uh, yeah, it, he's only been improving. Like his craft has only gotten better over time. Mm. Yeah, and, man. And uh, to get a movie with Jason Schwartzman and Jeffrey Wright and Brian Cranston and Jeff Goldblum and I believe Margot Robbie's in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, Margot Robbie, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Ed Norton. I mean, it's just Steve Carell, Brian Cranston. I mean, Willem Dafoe. The Death, usual, I'm, the usual suspects. Everyone. Um, um. Yeah, I'm. I'm fucking excited. The only thing you could uh, sell me on even more is if Frances McDormand was around. Then, uh, then I'd be nice. real fucking down. She makes every <laughs> yeah. movie better, though. She makes every mm. movie better. But, uh, well, and you know, this is our longest one yet discussing one of these uh there's you know there's a reason this movie this movie gets you talking it gets you motivated mm-hmm. to speak on things and think it's a uh, think it's worthy of all that discussion uh, oh yeah but uh yeah. any any parting thoughts here on the french dispatch you know we only got rushmore and bottle rocket left uh, we're going great. back in the time back in the timeline now that'll be yeah that will be interesting to go back now to see because this is the ultimate culmination of his style that's out right now. I, I mm-hmm. feel like Asteroid City will probably do it. It's going to elevate it even degree. further, I imagine. But it will, it will be interesting to go back and see where he started from. and, and Catch see... me in movie theater with a notepad and pen, jotting down my favorites as they occur. Yes, yeah, probably. I don't know. Because usually whenever I'm watching, I either pull my, like, I don't like to pull my phone ever. For a movie like yeah. i hate i hate that but i'll only pull it out to put in like a line or like yeah. a, a thing i think i'll forget by like, i gotta remember this one yeah like, i have to i have to put it in uh so that i don't know that that might be a a necessary it's not a bad it, for a the project we are you know committing to here it's everything's kind of building to a movie that is releasing in theaters and we will be discussing stuff that is releasing in theaters. Um, a, a little notepad and a pen goes a long way in a movie theater, much mm-hmm. better than a, yeah. uh, than a, yeah. than a phone. So I'll bring a typewriter actually and piss yeah. everyone off in the theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, I don't know. I kind of, I just want a typewriter now, like just to have, I don't like it's, it's way slower. But man, does it just probably feel more real whenever it like you can actually cool. just slide it back. Like it's it's probably worse, a worse overall typing experience, you know. Oh yeah, but, gotta be. But uh, painstaking is all hell. Um, I don't care. I, I don't know. I just I'm yeah, in there. I want to write now. It's weird. I'm not a writer at all, but I want to write. Hey man, I'm you ever write something you wanna you wanna get edited? You can send it my way, and we can put it up on the Patreon if you want. You ever want that? It is patreon.com slash pennybloompod. That's why I changed the name is in case anyone else wanted to want to contribute to the content over there. So uh, anytime uh, you got something you want to do, if you ever do, just let me know and you can send it my way and 
Thank I'll post you. it on up over there. Um, right. Oh, yeah. I do but, have uh, one random project that I've been doing on my own. Uh, and it was just from the movie Interstellar. Um, no, it's no effort whatsoever. Um, it's just I, if I'm somewhere and I notice that it's a really good audio experience, I just record 10 minutes of whatever that happens to be. Mm. And I was in my backyard just looking at the moon. Like this was like, I don't know, probably two months ago. I have all the dates that they're saved yeah, right. on. And and I just like the crickets were going. There was an yeah. owl and there was a frog. And I'm like, oh my god! Like, Whoa. what a just and it like all the noises were. It was like a symphony almost. And I'm like, I got, I just got to yeah. record this. And then I went like on a trip to down to Branson and like Big Cedar, and like it was just the I don't know. There's like a waterfall sounded really pleasant. And I like that, and then a fire crackling. Like so, just ah, random. Yeah. It, it's random things that I just. It's just ten minutes snippets. Um, and an interstellar. Yeah, it was like uh, an interstellar. Whenever he he plays Earth sounds. For uh, the right. you know one of the astronauts up there, he hands him his iPod or whatever, and he's like, "Here, just just listen to this, uh, just in case I ever need um, any Earth be noises." Grounded. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's I don't know. Was, it, I've actually come back to them actually a little bit. Like, surprise! I thought I would just record them and just keep them back there just in case. But like, I actually I don't know. It's it's nice to soothing. To just yeah, it's very soothing. But um, I don't know. I think I might actually get into into writing a little bit. I don't know what I'll write, but something. I'm just gonna start yeah. flexing those muscles or. Just see where it takes me. Just takes a little work, you know. You know, people are like, oh, I'm not a good writer. You know, I just can't do it. You're probably not a good writer because you haven't committed yourself to trying to write. You know, it's uh, you like, know, there are. It's just like anything else. You, there are people you're a good who have basketball a natural, player. Have you ever played yeah. basketball? No. Oh, yeah, there are well, people. There are obviously people with a natural talent for it, but you can get better at that. It's not a. It's not a thing you can't uh, improve at. Mm-hmm. Um, it just takes a little work, and it's very, very fulfilling. Um. I'm I'm shit. I I like to think of myself as a relatively good writer, but I'm. Oh, you're you're far above that. I appreciate you. Are, you. I appreciate you. Are far you. above. Yeah. You are I, I appreciate you there, but that's the thing is that I'm nowhere I'm nowhere near as good as I would like to be. You know, and I think that's kind of what uh, that's the the writers the right yeah the writers drive is to mm-hmm. always be better than they are at that moment. So like uh, good I think that's uh, I think it's a good. It's a good policy to have, but, uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, with that, I think we'll conclude this episode of the Penny Bloom podcast. If you would head to patreon.com slash Penny Bloom pod. If you want to take a good little look at my writing works, I've only just recently gotten back into the writing bug and maybe Joe will be posting some stuff over there soon. Well, who knows? We shall see. But, uh, no promises on how good it's going to be. Yeah. But, hey man. Uh, hey man. That's why you need. That's why you need an editor. You know, some, sometimes True. you just need an editor. True. Uh, True. Help, help you refine that. And I've been, I've been wanting to edit for so long. I loved that job. It was so fun. But uh, uh, head, head there for three dollars a month. You can support this podcast financially. I'm writing movie reviews, comic book reviews, book reviews, and the like. It's been so much fun. Uh, there's also tons of recorded content, much more uh, exclusive podcasts than there are writing works over there. Um. And I think uh, that's 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 probably more y'all speed. Um, but regardless, there is written work over there for you. Um, head to Twitter, follow at Penny Bloom Pod, follow on Instagram at Penny Bloom Podcast, and remember to leave a five star rate and review wherever it is that you might be listening. Um, let's see. With that, I believe that concludes it. I was Colton Robertson, and I was joined by Joseph George. Thank you very much, homie.
Thank you for having me. It is always a pleasure to be here. Oh, and it's always a pleasure to have you. And remember, peace, love, and bloom, and maybe with good luck, we'll find what eluded us in the places we once called home.